You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Swing Time Edition. That's right, folks. We're talking about one of the classic Hollywood studio movies, one of the classic musicals. We're talking about Astaire and Rogers. We're talking about one of the top 28 <laughs> family movies that you should watch with your family per Sanity at the Movies podcast. If you ever listen to that episode. And yeah, who's talking about it? You might be wondering. Well, I'll tell you. I'm Nathan, your humble and obedient, elegant, tuxedo wearing, top hat host, putting on the Ritz for you today. And we've got one of the most glamorous men ever to set foot upon planet Earth. Somehow recording with you guys. Yes, somehow. <laughs> How did that happen? He's graced us. You asked, well, I lost a bet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mr. Not-So-Lucky himself, Benjamin Solzer. Trade in that lucky quarter for a lucky penny. Yep. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. We're like a lucky Megan. I already did. <laughs> <laughs> Got her. Yeah. Don't try and jam her into a she, cigarette she's, machine. She's the lucky one then, huh? She is the lucky one. <laughs> really? Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, lucky me. Well, Ben, speaking of glamour, speaking of elegance, speaking of sophistication and wit, why don't you introduce a man who evinces and encapsulates all those qualities the third person on this podcast. Pastor Jake, Dancing Feet, Mensel. <laughs> yes, Dancing Feet is my <laughs> my middle name. Yeah. So we call you, hey, Dancing Feet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dap Shoes, get over here. <laughs> yep. That, that is how we talk. We are all 1930s fast-talking gangsters. Hey, guys, why are we talking about swing time? Because that's the movie that we decided to watch, Nathan. It is. Well, we're doing In the Heights later this year. Later this month, actually. We decided it was time for a comedy. Mm -hmm. And then we were also looking at the fact that we were going to want to do In the Heights because everybody's going to be watching it. Right. So, we picked a musical comedy. Yes. We we have watched Hamilton on your Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And we have listened to the Hamilton soundtrack, and we are we 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 enjoy that Lin Manuel Miranda's stuff, and so obviously the rest of the world does too. So we have to watch In the Heights and review it for this very podcast, which we will be doing. But we thought, why not contrast it with something? And we decided to contrast it with about the most classic, iconic, old thing that. You could possibly get. I mean, I see. I guess we could have gone Sound of Music. Could have gone, gone Sound of Music. Could have gone West Side Story. Could have gone any number of dra- Singing in the Rain. Right. And I assume we'll talk about all, all of, those of those things on yeah. this very podcast because I love all those movies and would love to talk about them. We'll have to talk about West Side Story because Spielberg's doing his remake West Side Story yeah. later this year. But obviously, eh, that would be interesting to go all the way back to something that's a little bit more embryonic, a little bit an older style, something that is sort of bridging the world of the old Broadway reviews and theater with... Well, in that sense, I think that Miranda is going to be doing something much more like that Mm -hmm. than we've seen in a long time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have La La Land, which is... I don't know that people still like musicals, so let's have A-list actors 
go to school and learn how to dance. And I think Miranda is going to be pulling in. It's just going to be Broadway people. Right. Right. Which is great. Yeah, it's great. It's exciting. Somebody's got their notifications turned on or something like that. I don't know who that is. It might have been me. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, so if people don't know anything about musicals, the really old musical form, I don't know if anybody watched, what's that movie that we watched for this very podcast? Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yeah. So if you remember the kind of musicals that George Cohen was writing, where it was the dumbest plot, but it was just so that we could sing all these rousing patriotic George Cohen and basically, it's an excuse for people to do dances and mm-hmm. for there to be spectacle. That's Broadway theater. And you had people like P.G. Woodhouse and people like George Gershwin and names that you might have heard of that would be writing these light as air kind of frothy things mm-hmm. that barely even bo- oftentimes didn't even have a plot. It was just a musical review. Really, it's Rodgers and Hammerstein who are famous for just saying we're going to do full plot with things like uh, Sound of Music and Oklahoma. Those are telling stories with famously with a lot of sexual tension. Actually, that's what Oscar, that's what what Hammerstein and Rogers wanted to bring to it is let's still tell fully developed, mature love stories that aren't just about, I I need to hoof it to the theater so I can do my latest number with my best guy. But Astaire and these musicals with Ginger Rogers and the movie musicals that they did is kind of standing as something somewhere a little bit in the middle in between. Yeah. yeah. It's not full plot. You're not really supposed to take the story of this movie all that seriously. It's basically an excuse for them to sing some pretty songs and do some spectacular dances and have silly banter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and nothing's going to hammer that home more than it's just like, well, we've done all our numbers. And so, Oh it's crap. Time I guess we have to happy, resolve this plot. Time for the happy ending. And so the guy, <laughs> we're, we're going to steal the pants of the groom and he's going to come down and be like, well, I guess you got the best of me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you get to marry the girl now. You're still lucky. lucky. <laughs> I'm going to sing you a love song. It's just like, <laughs> right. Cause that wouldn't end in a knockdown drag out fight in real life. Nobody is even pretending. Right? Yeah, no, it's like we've just given up on the plot at this right. point. No, nobody yeah. cares. The, the plot all was resolved in one spectacular dance number, the Never Gonna Dance number, which we'll talk about. But that's, that's the, the only thing that matters. Yeah. But it's really entertaining. The in-between stuff is pretty entertaining. And Swing Time, the reason that it's the best remembered is because the in-between stuff, I think, is the most entertaining. You watch some yeah. of the things and the, the stuff, the in-between stuff can be pretty creaky. In yeah. some of these old movies, yeah, but just waiting to the waiting for the next number. But they brought some really good color in with, and I, I had their names and I already forgot them. Pops, but yeah, Pops and uh, and the secretary lady, yeah, yeah, really, yeah, really great. Yeah, no, and yep, they're great and and weird. We should yeah. talk about that. Yeah, well, weird. quirky in the right way. Yeah, they're very quirky to make and them interesting. Not what you, you know? expect from the sidekicks. And I have a theory about that, but we'll we'll get to it. Yeah, and then you also just have, I don't know, you have spectacular set design and you just have a lot of money spent on making this movie yeah. pretty and they have snow, which... A lot of effort and elbow grease mm-hmm. into, I mean, we're obviously, if you've watched this movie, we're going to have to spend some time talking about Bojangles of Harlem. Yes, and yes, we will. We will litigate, as I like to say, Bojangles of Harlem. My favorite, it used to be my favorite thing that you used to say litigate all the time, but mm-hmm. now it's that you sneer every time you say it. Right. 
That's my favorite thing is oh, that Jake. you mock yourself who, and, let it, and sneer every who time. Who brought the sneer <laughs> first? <laughs> if I am Joker, then you made me Batman. <laughs> That's fair. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. One of these days. Oh, I guess I'm the one that's making the noises, folks. I am so I sorry. thought so. Yes. I, Mabel. Mabel, that's the Mabel. secretary. I couldn't remember whether that was the actress's name or the... No, the actress is... Helen Broderick. Helen, Helen Broderick. Broderick. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And yeah, they're fantastic. Uh, I love all the supporting characters. I love the the dance instructor guy. That, I mean, oh, he's awesome. The, he's uh, hilarious. That guy just played so many effete butlers and he, he just had a line in obnoxious, yeah. stuffy British people <laughs> <laughs> coded as uh, perhaps not as straight, straight as... Yeah. Um, Oh, you want to talk to Penny? <laughs> well, I'm oh, sure yeah. <laughs> that she'll be right along. You're still fired. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has more, for me, genuine laughs. And I've seen this movie a bunch, but I go back and I watch it. There's so many movies where I'm like, as someone who dabbles in writing comedic stuff, I can appreciate what they're doing, but it doesn't still actually hit now. But I get, I understand why it hit then. This movie... Has any number of places that actually just still make me laugh. Yeah. The tailor is hilarious <laughs> with the cuffs. <laughs> no cuffs. <laughs> the guy really cares about his passionate. job. <laughs> and I don't know. Just well, like, somebody, I mean, I think somebody like that would. Yeah, that's what's great is it doesn't yeah. really feel that. It, well, I mean, in, I mean, part of what this movie balances, if you watch other Astaire Rogers films is they don't try to make a stare the the color of the comedy mm -hmm. they let him be a straight man right for the entire movie and they do it in a way that never ever maybe in that first scene with his pants and all mm -hmm. that stuff but outside of that never really undermines the dignity and elegance of of Fred Astaire. No, he's just allowed to be what you would kind of expect him to be if you hadn't yeah. watched these movies. Which actually, the first Astaire and Rogers movie, which nobody remembers anymore because it's not that great, because it's actually somebody else's movie. Astaire and Rogers were just playing the, they were playing the, what are their names? The Mabel and uh, Pop. Yeah. Huh. They're, they're, they're playing the color, but their dances and their chemistry was so off the charts that immediately they got their own movie afterwards because it's like nobody, the movie, it's called Flying Down to Rio. It actually ends on Astaire and Rogers because you could tell even the editor was like, we don't care about the main couple. We don't care about anything. We just care about this burning sun at the center of the galaxy that is the chemistry between these yeah. two supporting. It's like if uh, Philadelphia Story had ended on Stewart and... Uh, right. If they, if they had just... Uh, if you uh -huh. didn't have Grant and Hepburn, but you had a couple nobodies... If, if Grant and Hepburn were played by actually... What what was it? Bing Crosby and... Oh, yeah. What's her face? Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly. Then you would have wanted to end on Ginger... Or uh, Ginger. Jimmy Stewart and... Uh, yeah. Ruth Hussey. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. There are stars. This is what the story's about. And yeah. we had to course correct. Our editor is going to course correct by giving them as much material and stealing as much material <laughs> from... <laughs> cutting down the scenes with our ostensible leads which is what happens in flying down to Rio. It's, it's pretty fascinating. But yeah, we're going to talk about swing time. So we'll talk about it all. We'll litigate it all. We'll litigate Bojangles of Harlem. We'll, we're going to, there's going to be so much litigation flying back all and forward. All kinds of litigation. Yeah. Yeah. On this podcast. 
Yeah. This is this is a movie for the kinds of people that were grateful we introduced into Philadelphia story. This is another one for you. Yeah. I think. I think so. Absolutely. Well, uh, let me give a little bit of context on Fred Astaire. The famous thing that you have to say about Fred Astaire, and it's probably apocryphal, but supposedly a screen test, the, sc- the first screen test when he was screen tested, the note came back. Can't sing, can't act, balding, can dance a little. So there, <laughs> I've said the apocryphal story. Yeah. In any case, the test was actually disappointing because Astaire is not your typical leading man. Right. He's not that good looking in and of himself. He's not that great of a singer. He's not that great of a singer. He's not that great of an actor. What he what he is is a spectacular dancer. And to rewind a little bit, that's how he came up. He's just some guy born to parents. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. In Nebraska. Uh, what, yeah. What, what was, so all that kind of sophistication and elegance and the accent where he says dance instead of dance, like that's all, that's all put on. Put on. But the interesting thing is if when you read these stories about these showbiz types that came up through vaudeville and through Broadway, oftentimes there's an overbearing mother figure. Uh, Minnie Marx famously made the Marx Brothers what they were. And Astaire, same thing. His dad's just some salesman. His mom is like, I'm going to live through my children and I'm going to have my children. You, you will often, behind behind many celebrities, particularly these kind of hardworking, old-timey celebrities, you will find an overbearing mother. mother. And so Astaire's mom decided he's going to be a star. And it, Astaire's dad's business went under. This is in the early, early 1900s. And... So they moved to Hollywood and, or maybe they moved to New York. I don't remember. They moved to one of the big hubs and Astaire worked his way up as a hoofer with his sister, Adele. And so Astaire learned to be a dancer, never being able to really, or even thinking to do romantic dances because his sister was his partner Mm -hmm. and his sister was famously the person that brought all the wit and the buoyancy and the talent. Like you went to see Adele Astaire, actually. She was, she was the big draw. But Fred slowly but surely became the better dancer. He be, he was really interested in the technique and in perfecting his craft. He obviously, as we'll talk about with Bojangles, he drew from a lot of influences, including mm-hmm. a lot of black tap dancers and people that would have been popular. And he had a coach that was, I forgot his name. I looked this up when I watched this a couple months ago. Yeah, I don't remember. I got down this rabbit trail, and I'm sure you've prepped for all of this, Mm -hmm. but I watched the little TCM three-minute intro where uh, they talked about Bojangles of Harlem being a tribute to Bojangles. Yeah, his name was uh, Bill Bojangles Robinson, and you can still see him. But if you do the research, or if you do the research that I did, Mm -hmm. it was as much a tribute to his, or more a tribute to his actual... His mentor. His, mentor. Yeah. Hmm. Than it was to... So, the TCM thing is all like, Bill Robinson never dressed like that and never did the outrageous things. He always tried to be whatever. And... But if you look it up, it's like, actually, Astaire is wearing the the costume that his was his mentor's final yeah. performance. That makes sense. The same costume. <laughs> the one thing and, is... So, I suppose we'll get to it. But the one thing that you, you can tell about Bojangles is Astaire meant it respectfully. He's not wearing the 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 big white lips and right. stuff, the things that people did to the, the really demeaning stuff that minstrel shows would often do. Yeah, there, huh. there are a couple of key things that anybody will point out, no matter what they say about about the performance itself. Everybody agrees that it was it was meant sincerely and respectfully. 
Hmm. Yeah, because he I think it was, it was it was it was miscalculated, mm-hmm. but but it was well intentioned. Yeah, it was well intentioned, and, and and it often was. The other famous one that Astaire does in blackface is one that Bing Crosby also does in blackface in Holiday Inn, where they sing the, the, the number Abraham, and of course Crosby loved all the black crooners and people that he'd come up with and just wanted to do a tribute to them. So he slapped on some blackface and sang in that style as a tribute and doesn't really hold up very well, right. but I mean, it holds up as a fantastic number. It doesn't hold up politically or <laughs> anyway, yeah. we can talk more about Bojangles, but the point is Astaire, he's just one of those once in a lifetime talent, like the Beatles, like whoever you want to compare it to Steve jobs. He's one of those people that drew from all the influences and yeah, and you can together. compare him to Elvis or the Beatles or anybody that drew on on innovative black mm-hmm. uh, artists, but, but managed to repackage them, repackage it, and popularize it. Repackage, popularize it, and unlike say Elvis, where you can find YouTube video of a black guy actually doing it better, mm. Astaire is the pinnacle of dance. There's there is nobody better in the 20th century. I think I could say. I mean, I'm not a dancer and i'm not a dance expert i don't want to pretend to be but you just can't name a better popular dancer than fred astaire not gene kelly not and this isn't just personal taste this is look you look at what dance people say and you look at what people Hmm. that were influenced by astaire you look at the michael jacksons and the people like other people that you would think of as yeah michael jackson is gonna model himself on astaire not the people that astaire modeled himself on right and 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 push dance forward and in new directions and and whatever yeah i mean the famous thing that about astaire is that he never repeated a step so you watch gene kelly you can start to see him do some of the same things if you're tuned into what dance does you watch fred astaire over the years through his different movies into the 50s and 60s you will never see him i mean obviously tap dance has a certain kind of thing but what 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 you won't see is him just repeat the same moves like he always wanted to innovate and push things forward you can also just look for thing as a non-dance person. You can look for his relationship to rhythm. It's complicated, right? You can mm-hmm. find dancers who are very lockstep, who are very just hitting the beats. Astaire is always changing the tempo. Mm. He's always getting slow and then getting fast and then doing something interesting, being offbeat intentionally. Just watch his bad dancing in this movie when he's intentionally pretending to be a bad... <laughs> you've never seen more graceful... Bad dancing. <laughs> bad dancing. Yeah. And he would perfect. always do... There's so many sequences that have lived on precisely because of the gimmickry behind them. He wasn't averse to showmanship. So you have Bojangles with the shadows. Yeah. You have the famous number where he dances on the ceiling. I think that's putting on the Ritz, whichever, which has been ruined by stupid young frankenstein that's what everybody thinks putting on the ritz is you have uh, what's the other one my fate my personal favorite dance on film ever committed to celluloid is is the dance in holiday inn the firecracker dance where he has these little firecrackers that he's mm-hmm. throwing uh what are they they're they're not firecrackers the but pop yeah you you, you throw pops. them against the ground and they pop so he's throwing them and then he's hitting the beat and then he's throwing them in the air and he's he it's just huh. it's, it's really spectacular and the the technical perfection of that is just like it's really cool it's cool that it lives on it's cool that it got captured in a medium where we can still see it a hundred years we're gonna if, if all of us live a normal life stand we will we will live to see swing time have its hundredth anniversary sometimes you read victorian accounts of 
She was the greatest actress that ever graced the stage. Okay. Cool. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Okay. Good. I I believe you. That's not how Stare was. Uh, So anyway, to pick up his story, his sister was the beauty and the wit of the act, but he was really working, polishing his technique. And then his sister, sometime I believe in the the late 1920s, decides to marry a count or something like that. And her career is done. She just retires to <laughs> go be a wife to this count. And around the same time, Astaire goes to Hollywood, does this famous screen test, which probably the can't sing, can't act, balding, can dance a little is apocryphal. But we do know that the screen test went poorly. I have a thing here, a memo from David O. Selznick, who was in charge of RKO at the time. Quote, I am uncertain about the man, but I feel in spite of his enormous years and bad chin line, that his charm is so tremendous that it comes through even on this wretched test. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Astaire, it was a good screen test and it was a bad screen. It was a terrible screen test, but also Astaire was There's so, enough je ne sais quoi there that they're willing to roll the dice. They were willing to roll the dice. And so Astaire had to learn how to actually, you can see him, you can see the evolution. If you Swing time is number six and it's the pinnacle. Yeah. But you can watch the evolution of him figuring out what he wants to do with a female partner where there's romance involved. Mm-hmm. He never really wanted to be nailed down with a partner. Ginger Rogers was just somebody that was assigned to them and then they were, they were popular together. So they did ultimately 10 movies together. And they liked each other. It's not like there's some bitter feud b- behind the two of them. But Astaire always wanted to mix things up and mm-hmm. do other things. And he didn't want to be linked such that he had to do things with Ginger Rogers. So he actually tried during their partnership to strike out on his own. Failed. Like the movie didn't do well. And then he went back to Rogers for a while. But I think that's really all we need to know about Fred Astaire. I, I assume we'll talk more about what made his dancing great and stuff as we have. I, I know, I know I, I read this a long time ago and it was just interesting in a tangent way that he was a Republican and Gene Kelly was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. So one of them, I, I don't know that I would have expected that exactly. Yeah, that's so, interesting. Well, he might've been conservative. Gene Kelly feels more know. like the aristocrat. So you'd kind of assume mm-hmm. that he would be the Republican, I guess, whereas I don't know, but, yeah. but I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of their personas. But yeah. This movie actually casts Astaire in a much more democratic, as we think of it, role. Usually, Astaire is just top hat, tails, he's rich. This is the the first movie where they realize, oh, we're halfway through the Depression. People actually don't want to see just glitz and glamour and escapism. They want (laughs) a little bit of something they can relate to. And so, we have the scene where Ginger Rogers is not believed by the cop, which everybody would have... I'll, I'll protect you, ma'am. You pay me to protect you from these screwy dames, I think the cop says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody would have been righteously angry at that stupid <laughs> cop. <laughs> and Astaire is, he's still in top coat and tails, uh, tails and top hat the whole time. But <laughs> supposedly he's this poor down on his luck gambler guy who never <laughs> for a second looks or acts like a poor down, down on his, his luck, luck gambler, yeah. gambler guy but we're trying to give it just a little bit of but he's only down on his luck for the one scene he needs to be which is he's going to hilariously be losing his clothes in a in a game he's never played before yeah, with that, some of the worst friends in cinema history <laughs> <laughs> it, it, and, and it's going to mean that it's going to set up the tension between the two of them because he can't make the dance that night. Right. 
And then from then on out, he's just going to strike it rich. And it's just like, uh-huh. man, he's got to keep the money from coming to him somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like, how can I make less money? <laughs> the problems we all have to deal with. I guess the other thing that's worth saying, a little, just setting up about Astaire, is he had control over his dance numbers pretty quickly because they just realized, let's get out of this guy's way. And he hated cuts. Like, he wanted to cut as little as possible. He did not like edits. He wanted you to see the whole dance, and he wanted a full body to be in the frame. You should be able to... We should never cut to my feet. We should never cut to my head. We don't want to see... It should just be... Nothing should break the the reality. And so most of the dance sequences, I think Never Gonna Dance, the big one in this movie, maybe there's four cuts altogether just that were mm-hmm. necessary. But so he would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse these things. And there's this awesome thing that they put together in the 90s where for some movie, I forget what it's called in the 50s, he shot a scene and a dance number and then they decided uh, we don't like the costume we don't like the set whatever we need to redo it and so they actually somebody actually put side by side the footage of him doing it on the rubbish set and the final version on the set that they used and it's the same thing down to the hand movements down to the facial gestures this stuff is all rigorously planned mm-hmm. and rehearsed and there is just there is not a movement that mm-hmm. he didn't come up with and practice a thousand times and famously he would destroy his female co-stars they just would not be able to keep up with them he's he quoted somewhere as saying all the girls cried the only one that never cried was ginger so she was a trooper (laughs) and she's not so i guess we could talk a little bit about oh the other thing i want to say about astaire is he introduced so many popular songs to the canon and it's a fine romance and what's the big one from this movie just the way you look the tonight. Oscar winner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The um, way you look tonight. The, uh, yeah. He, I, I love his version of this song, actually. I, yeah, I would good. put it up. I, I actually don't love, I'm just not a big Sinatra guy, personally. But Sinatra does this fast, smooth version, and that's kind of become the standard version of that song. But I think the more plaintive kind of way that Astaire is allowed to do it for plot purposes in this movie mm-hmm. is really sweet. And he introduced as many songs to the American songbook as Bing Crosby, as as people who are more well-known for their... Yeah, I was reading a little about how people, how how, he, how admired he was by songwriters and actors and singers for his singing. Not because he had an awesome voice like Crosby, but because he had a brilliant idea of how to make the song happen. Yes. Like a way of expressing it, a way of like an understanding the lyrics, the beat goes here. When I'm performing it, it has this flavor. He just has that kind of like he can dance precisely. He could sing to to give you a precise emotional effect. Right. Well, and if you've heard some singers from that era, it's just, I'm going to belt it out. I'm going (laughs) to sing the whole thing. And like Bing Crosby, like Sinatra later, what's his face? Fred Astaire is so delicate and so nuanced and tells such a story with his phraseology Mm -hmm. and with the choices that he makes. Yeah, when you, in, I've seen, you were talking about he ran all the girls into the ground Mm. in rehearsals, but that same kind of delicacy and gentleness, whatever, you see these interviews with some of the dancers who compared dancing with Gene Kelly to dancing with Fred Astaire. Mm. It's like, well, there are some things that they say that I won't say, Mm -hmm. 
But one of the, the things they'll say is that Gene Kelly is going to actually leave you bruised. Mm-hmm. He's going to, he's aggressive, he's violent, he's athletic. He is the alpha who mm-hmm. is making love to you right. in the dance and stares the gentleman. Right. I think that comes across on the screen and it's what, I, pre- it's what I prefer so much about Fred Astaire. Yeah. Uh, he's much more seductive if you want to put it that way than just the full f- assault that is Gene Kelly sometimes. <laughs> right. Huh. And Gene Kelly is going to be much more sexually explicit too in the way that the women are dressed and singing in the rain and that stupid yep, long that whole, the green lady sequence. And, and, yep. I forgot about that. Yeah. Although you, Ginger Rogers has a pretty intense dress in this movie. Oh, yes, yes. That's pretty like, yeah. 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 And they picked the shots they wanted to pick. Oh, they man. did. They did. And yeah, I'm not going to. the takes they wanted to pick. I'm not going to deny that. Based on that, what they showed. Yeah, both, both men are using... Uh, sex to their advantage and using it with skill shall we say but let's get a dress that it looks light as air and pretty much matches the skin tone as it's going to be on screen and mm-hmm. then yeah no i'm not going to say that fred astaire didn't understand and use sex i just think he used it more artistically shall we say than uh, <laughs> <laughs> gene kelly <laughs> i at least I, less regret in your face aggressively. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say now I really want to watch after after we do this, I want to see Singing in the Rain and talk about it because I haven't seen that since I was early teens probably. Mm-hmm. It's but, it's a, it's the perfect contrast. Yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe we'll just have to talk about it. Um, I, I just remember loving Gene Kelly's dancing. Yeah, I, Gene I really, Kelly's I, spectacular. Let's not. You know, he's, he's, there's a reason it's, the question is Fred or Gene, but. Mm-hmm. I think the real way to watch it is to watch Singing in the Rain first mm-hmm. and then turn around and watch Swing Time because you really need, I think you need the, Singing in the Rain, you accept it. Right. You accept it as being the greatest musical mm-hmm. of all time or one of the top two or three mm-hmm. great musicals of all time. And with Fred and Ginger, you accept that they were great and that they had any number of great things that they did. Swing time's not iconic, like. But it's in the not iconic. Nothing yeah. is mm-hmm. as iconic as swing, swinging in the rain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> in this in is the, the name of our uh, yeah. dance off. But yeah, you so you go back to singing, singing in the rain, and you watch it, and you're like, oh yeah, this is really great, and Gene Kelly's awesome, and uh, what's her face, Leia's mom. What is her face? Uh, I don't remember. Oh, I forgot about that. I forgot she was Leia's mom. What uh, is her name? She's great. Um, she's really great. I cannot pull her name right now. What's Leia's name? <laughs> Leia's, Leia's name Fisher. is Fisher, but yeah. that's n- Re- Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. Go. Good job. Yeah, yeah, Debbie Reynolds. And then you've got... Donald O'Connor. Donald O'Connor and all that stuff is just like, it's really great. And, it, and, and it's sort of like the, the, we've taken all the formulas that Fred and Ginger and Bing and everybody have sort of, and we've pulled it together in color. Yeah. And we've made we've made the the musical, but then you go after that and you go watch Swing Time, and in some ways, to me, it's like the difference between as we talked about in our Philadelphia story episode. It's the difference between watching Chris Hemsworth, the sexy godman, mm-hmm. as Thor, versus Dopey Humphrey Bogart having mm. all of the sexual tension and prowess that because simply by being 
more manly. Yeah, he's just, mm-hmm. just he just right. has it. He's just, he's, he doesn't he's have to act it. it. He's just got it. Yeah. And then that same kind of character coming through in in the Philadelphia story, where it's like because they're not trying to deny sexual realities mm-hmm. and are playing with real sexual tension because they're playing with the way men and women really are. It's mm-hmm. just like palpable without having to ever be explicit. In 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 singing in the rain has a lot of those qualities simply by being. 60 years ago or whatever. Right. But right. I th- I really think the sexual tension of never going to dance is like off the charts. It's yeah, it's uh, it's it's insane. It's it's just at the top of the list of hmm. all without being tawdry or explicit in the way yeah, okay, the dress. But mm-hmm. they never quite cross the line in the way that even singing in the rain and some of its sequence is does. It's it's right. It's more well, singing in the rain really crosses lines comparatively, right? Mm. And certainly anything today crosses, crosses lines. Lines. in the heights is going to cross lines. We haven't seen oh, it, yeah. but it's right. going to cross lines yeah. one way or another. La La Land, I'm sure, just in random ways that Emma Stone's dress goes flying up or something, probably crosses those lines. I don't remember. Yeah, although but, I think they were trying to be much more. Astaire Rogers. Yeah, and also they suck. So and also they just don't <laughs> her dress wasn't flying around that much. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's funny. I actually like La La Land, but I man, still haven't I seen like La it too, Land. But it is just like some of the here dance. are two people that tried really hard to learn how to dance, <laughs> making you think of people that actually could dance. Yeah, <sighs> there's a scene in that movie where it's the it's the right moment in the movie where Fred Astaire would suddenly. It's the moment in Swing Time where He's got to prove that she that he actually knows how to dance in front of the the gay guy, yeah. and suddenly he just snaps into motion. You're you're waiting for Ryan Gosling to do that, and then he does this lame little soft shoe, and it's <laughs> yeah. so disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's just it's it, it's super lame. <laughs> and you you could say, well, at least Ryan Gosling can act, but honestly, I think Fred Astaire. He's for this kind of material, at least he's he's a good actor. He's a good singer. Yeah, he like is. He, he is the complete package. It's not that you're forgiving him things. Yeah, he can't he can't he turn around and and take a different style uh, of role. Right. He can't play. He's not going to have the acting versatility that Ryan Gosling does. I give that to Gosling all day. But in this genre, doing what he does best. Yeah. yeah. Like, no comparison. Yeah. He's really great. He's everything that you need and more. Right. Hmm. Here's another rabbit trail. I read, maybe, do you know this, Nathan? Fred Astaire said once that Michael Jackson was like the successor. Yeah, I've seen yes, that. I've, I've seen okay, that. okay. Is that a famous, that's a famous uh, Which, which, which makes sense. I mean, yeah. you look at Michael Jackson. I, I, I did not do it, but I was very tempted to pull up Smooth Criminal just in thinking about all this mm-hmm. stuff because oh, it, yeah. is, it is so Astaire. Yep. And what's the other famous one? Thriller? Thrill, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thriller. Uh, thriller. Uh, there's, there's so much that's a stare about the moves in that or Billie Jean. Mm. The thing about that though is that they, they keep cutting. I mean, I love the Thriller music video. I grew up with it just like mm-hmm. most people of my generation. And I don't think that you shouldn't cut, but it is spectacular to see Fred Astaire. Like I, I know All Michael Jackson shots. could dance. I don't know yeah. how long Michael Jackson could dance. I know that mm. Astaire could do a three minute thing like this and just do yeah. it. And there's, there is something that's spectacular and that, communicates across the ages and seeing it i mean you are watching a great athletic in the, in the same way watching old footage of michael jordan or something like that yeah you do mm. get some of that feeling from a stare 
that yeah. I think somebody like Michael Jackson comes close to it and no doubt was capable of things like that, but you're just never allowed to enjoy it in quite that way because... Yeah, there are some concerts and stuff like that that you can... Yeah, you watch concert footage of Michael Jackson, you yeah. can get that effect. Yeah. And you watch concert <laughs> footage today, not that you necessarily should, of, of somebody like Taylor Swift, you realize, oh, she's a great athlete in addition to her other talents. Like, she's running around and dancing the whole time. That's, that's an athletic performance right there, and that's <laughs> something. But Astaire is the gold standard, and nobody's topped it to this day, would be not just my contention, but I think a lot of people's. Mm-hmm. contentions there's there are people that have done more interesting things in terms of integrating cinema and dance so for example bob fossey is a very famous choreographer he did chicago and not the movie chicago but the original play of chicago and he did mm-hmm. the movie cabaret and mm-hmm. he did a number of movies in the 70s where he was really making the camera into one of the dancers and thinking about how you could edit something together to for for more spectacular effect right and that's the kind of thing that we're at least i'm hoping in into the heights is is like a good amalgamation yeah it's going to pull together the best of real broadway dancing and some really great long single shots Mm -hmm. with actually using the camera right and there's Um, a reason that mtv adopted that propulsive cutting style that they did. And it's not all bad. Some of it was to just hide the fact that some of these early 80s and late 90s stars weren't very talented. But some of it also is like, it's fun to cut on the beat and to capture different little snippets, especially a big dance number with, you know, mirrored little image on image on image, Hmm. excuse me, side by sides. And yeah, and it's nice to sort of play with the options, have Will Smith's here, but then we're going to cut to the backup dancer doing this thing and this thing. And, oh, someone's getting jiggy with it over there. Not that anyone should get jiggy with it, folks. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but there is something, there, there's a reason that the MTV style developed. But, man, it does deny you the ability to actually enjoy the athleticism of, of yeah. some of these kinds of people. Well, also, cinematically speaking, I, it's really cool. <laughs> Those sweeping long camera movements yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that don't cut, it's awesome. Yeah. I remember that in Singing in the Rain, too, mm-hmm. when I saw it. I was like, oh. This is awesome movie making, which I didn't know I would get when I sat down to watch this at random. Right. Who knows why I didn't see it as a kid, but I didn't. So I was like, wow, the way the camera moves and captures the dancing for long stretches. And it's like awesome. Yeah. And it makes you you appreciate people like Jackie Chan Mm -hmm. for what they do. And then... I guess, guys, other filmmakers yeah, like... Back to Ramble in the Bronx. I, I know. I was wondering mm-hmm. if we said anything about a Chan Astaire connection. I don't know that we did. I don't know whether we did or not, but we should have. Because I, I don't know what Jackie Chan th- said about Astaire, but mm-hmm. how could he not have been odd? I would think it would, be, it would have been one of his touchstones. Just... I mean, J- Jackie Chan actually has a lot of this. He has one gift in common, which is, at least if he wants to, which is to make incredibly complex and fast movements look like Effortless. Jackie Chan, it's usually comedy. Like, oh, I'm barely surviving. But you can, but it's like, it's still like, mm-hmm. it's like he's, he's, he's not trying or something. It's like he's, it, it's not quite the same as the stairs, but mm-hmm. there's something similar there. Well, they're both live and bendy, yeah. which I like. It's one of the things yeah, that yeah. I don't like as much about Gene Kelly is that he's kind of stocky and thick, which is fine. He's great. Again, Gene Kelly's wonderful, but just as a point of comparison, I just think. Fred Astaire was gifted with a body that really does interesting things. You just watch him in repose in this movie. He's just always fun to look at. If he's sitting on a chair, he kind of leans or sways or 
He is fun to look yeah. at. Mm-hmm. He's just he's 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 almost like a cartoon character. He's very easy to caricature, very easy for Looney Tunes to do things with back in the day because there's just always something a little bit <laughs> off kilter about him. It doesn't look like gravity can ever quite contain Fred Astaire. If, if he's going to move, especially in his younger days like this, if he's going to move He'll jump across the chair. He won't just right. uh, mm-hmm. sit down. Of course, he's excited because he just got a <laughs> smooch <laughs> uh, at that moment <laughs> in the movie. Uh, should we talk about Ginger Rogers a little bit? Yeah. So yeah. Ginger Rogers, not she actually did come up as a dancer. She was just some girl who won a dancing contest. That actually, did the Charleston in 1925. Got a movie contract and then appeared. We kind of broke out in a movie called 42nd Street and another movie called Gold Diggers of 33, which are these cynical, fast-talking Warner Brothers musicals. And Ginger Rogers very much plays the cynical, fast-talking. This is pre-code or just as code was coming in, the, the morality code. So she's kind of the saucy wench, for lack of a better word, on the sidelines. And Ginger mm-hmm. Rogers is very good at that kind of tough, brittle, cigarette-smoking kind of chick and those movies are the counterpoint to what astaire was doing because those are busley berkeley musicals you've seen them parodied a million times it's the thousand chorus girls with all the legs and the geometrical patterns in the swimming pool and stuff Mm -hmm. like that you've Mm -hmm. seen miss piggy do it or somewhere (laughs) you've seen busley berkeley if you've ever watched a cartoon or anything you've seen somebody do a busley berkeley style any kind of the camera's zooming past legs. <laughs> if, you've seen, if you've seen that, <laughs> just thousands of rows of legs. That's Busley Berkeley. And he was very much choreographing with the camera. And Astaire was very much reacting against that and saying, let's choreograph with our bodies. And I think Astaire famously said, I don't want the camera to dance. I want to dance. Mm-hmm. And so Ginger Rogers actually took part in some of those kinds of musicals. That's what she broke out in. And then just got paired, like I said, as a supporting character with Astaire as a supporting character for this cheapo, I don't know if it's cheap, but for, for a RKO musical that wasn't them, they were just the, the supporting characters. And then they just lit up the screen and everybody just realized, oh, these two are awesome together. And she had dance training. She'd won a dance contest, but she wasn't a tap dancer. She wasn't anything like the dancer that was. The famous line people always say, say is Ginger did everything Fred did backwards and in, in high heels. heels. Yeah. No, she didn't. She's nothing like the dancer that Fred Astaire was. She's just technically, she doesn't come anywhere close. She got better. And by the time we get to swing time, she is doing more things. Like she can tap dance. She can do twirls. Like she can do things. Like she's a good dancer. She's a better dancer than anybody in this room would ever be. How do you know? Yeah. Well, besides Jake, obviously. <laughs> if you've never seen Don't Jake do, my a, nickname. do a double twirl, yeah, you are, what, dancing shoes? I think that's what it was, yeah. <laughs> Great and very clever dancing-related nickname that we came up with. I mean, I'm not saying she's not a spectacular dancer compared to most people. I'm just saying compared to Fred Astaire, she's nothing. But Fred Astaire is also the greatest dancer of the 20th century, maybe of all time. So that's not, that's not a slight. What she was willing to do was be cheerful and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and block out special time to because these people, as I've talked about before, they're under contract. They're doing more than one movie a year. They're doing maybe different projects at a different time. So Astaire or Rogers would be over here working on this thing, but then she'd come in extra hours to work with obsessive Fred and get these things right. 
And so she's just a workhorse and cheerful about it and willing to do the work. That's, that's, that's the number one thing that makes her great. And then the second thing, so there's a guy named professor of dance named John Mueller, who has a quote that sums up Roger's ability that I think is worth reading because it says it better than I would say it off the top of my head. Rogers was outstanding among Astaire's partners, not because she was superior to others as a dancer, but because as a skilled, intuitive actress, she was cagey enough to realize that acting did not stop when dancing began. The reason so many women have fantasized about dancing with Fred Astaire is that Ginger Rogers conveyed the impression that dancing with him is the most thrilling experience imaginable, unquote. And that is... That is <laughs> Totally what she brings to these movies. That's really good. <laughs> she's got a big smile on her face. She looks like she's having the time of her life. And she's just, she is acting. Again, she is the superior actor to Fred Astaire. She is acting against him in these scenes and doing such a good job and bringing such uh, sexual tension and sexual chemistry to... Well, it reminds you that Eve was made for Adam and not Adam for Eve. I mean, that's instantly what I was thinking of, like, oh... Ginger is the helper. No, I, I think it's true. I think she makes him look really good. Like she's the glory of a stare. Yeah. When she, she's dancing with she him. She really is. She's his crown. I mean, I think that's actually, it's not too far to, to put it that way. She, she, and when we talk about their chemistry, even when they're not dancing, so much of it is just her going soft. Right. And then trying to play hard to cover up how soft she's going. Like she does that stuff so well and makes, makes you think Fred is, so much more charming and attractive than he actually in point of fact, <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. And I think it really helps too that she's not, she's attractive, right? But she's not like Marilyn Monroe or something like that. She looks, we always say an actress is, has, is like the girl next door, but then she's more stunning than any girl next door ever that lived next to me. Ginger mm. Rogers actually does just look like the real girl next door. Like she's just standard pretty if i'm allowed to make those kinds of determinations but i think that that really helps actually if she wildly outclassed a stare as some of his other partners and other movies do it would kind of be weird and it would kind of throw off the balance it helps that they both you can imagine them as supporting characters in that first movie they both mm -hmm. have that kind of scrappy underdog sure energy to them and i think mm -hmm. it just it, it just yeah, I, I think she's really pretty. I, I think I she is too. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just comparing her to Hollywood. I'm, I'm talking in uh, like Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, where you push forward what thirty years and you've got a stare playing off Audrey Hepburn. Right, exactly. Compared to a goddess, she's a woman, and I think you could argue that that's more attractive. Actually, yeah, I prefer a yeah. woman. I, 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 I think I probably do too. I think probably. I mean. It's in a world of uh, gingers. Ginger Rogers was the Marianne. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's funny. That's that. That's kind of what I'm uh, trying to say. You'll find a lot of people saying that Ginger Rogers was uh, sadly put upon because she didn't get a cut of the. I think Stare was one of the first people to actually get a cut of the profits. He got like ten percent of these movies. Stare just got a salary. Oftentimes, a salary that wasn't as good as, for example, Victor Moore, who plays Astaire's best friend in this movie. So, whatever. Thought that was worth throwing in there, but I don't care. And that's Astaire. I think this, this movie is directed by George Stevens. He's pretty famous for directing light comedies and 
things. He he directed two movies on the 28 greatest family films that you your family will just love. <laughs> he, he also directed Gunga Din for RKO. He was really good at comedy and really good at this kind of light, witty. He actually helped. He did not do Philadelphia Astoria, but he he did help Catherine Hepburn break out and helped her define her Holly, her persona, her persona yeah. in a movie called Alice Adams that came a little bit earlier. And then when, when Hepburn united with Spencer Tracy and they did their run of famous movies, George Stevens came in and directed the first one of those and helped them find the tone for that. So he's a really great director of comedy and of sophisticated drawing room kind of stuff and sexual morals and mores and stuff. He's really good at all that stuff. Then he went to the war, photographed the war, World War II, came back and did nothing but serious drama for the huh. rest of his life and is famous for Shane. It's a movie a lot of people have probably seen, the Western Shane. Come back, Shane! Nope. And kind of seen it. Kind of. I mean, it's a... Uh, yes, know, I should. It's, yeah, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the top 10 Westerns probably. He did giant with james dean he did never seen it place in the sun with montgomery cliff he he did like well he did things that people haven't seen because they were serious and boring and very socially (laughs) aware and socially conscious right but those social issues they were they were were the liberal causes of the 50s not the liberal causes of now so who cares but his late comedies his late throwaway work that he kind of disavowed after the war is the stuff that we still kind of remember him for so the irony of history. I think that's all the context. Okay, so swing time. We open Fred Astaire's dancing. We weirdly don't get a number at the beginning of the movie. I think it was cut for some huh. reason, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. But what I think is interesting about this opening scene, for one thing, it's got his friends pulling one of the more more vicious friend pranks that yeah has ever happened (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're just gonna ruin your wedding just announces that you're in a screwball world almost like a fantasy world right but to me at least that's how i felt it's like oh okay (laughs) the rules are different in this world well there's so many little touches this is the the george stevens sophisticated touch i think that kind of signal you're not supposed to take it too seriously there's the guy who says local guy makes bad and then all his friends hit him and he yeah. like looks around for people to laugh and then they all hit him with their <laughs> hats or something like that right i think that in and of itself is is just like yeah we don't take any of this seriously these characters are just putting on a show for you it's fine yeah who cares we also don't waste any time setting up a stare we just assume the audience this is basically functions like a sequel the audience already has a relationship with this actor yeah and so mm-hmm. and this one he's called lucky he gambles <laughs> i guess <laughs> which 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 again is like a jackie chan movie yes that's how jackie all jackie chan's movies are right it, you don't even his name is probably even jackie in the movie yeah, yeah. i mean generally speaking, seriously yeah, like that. they are like that and fred astaire's <laughs> they might as well just call them fred and ginger because it's right. just like oh <laughs> yeah. there they are again <laughs> doing the same thing or they're just gonna why why try? Lucky and Penny. Right. Right. <laughs> lucky Penny. I get it. But he's gonna have a lucky quarter, but he's gonna trade it for a, a lucky penny. Right. Oh, I see. And we're gonna do like so magic is gonna be also and gambling is gonna be a theme. So we're gonna have the whole ace of spades trick and our, our guy here, Pops, is gonna have his little ace of spades on a string bangling on the back of his coat for half the first <laughs> act, you know. Yeah. That that's gonna come into play as just laying it all out <laughs> i love it you know i usually get bored by these kinds of throwaway plots like in a romantic comedy like 
all the contrivances and stuff, I really don't have a lot of patience for like the whole, well, why did you show up right at the right moment? So you could assume that she was getting back together with her boyfriend when actually she was telling him off. And if you'd shown up two seconds or if you just talked like two human beings, you'd figure it out. I don't know. Yeah, what exa- why would you turn around and go get engaged to Ricky? Yeah, <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> Or Ricardo Romero or Ricky yeah. Ricardo. Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. I love the thanklessness of that guy's role. Yeah, that guy's hilarious. <laughs> he's yeah, awesome. He, does he is job. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to be Bella Lugosi, kind of, but not, but comedic, but I don't know. <laughs> watch my eyebrows <laughs> as they bounce. <laughs> I don't know what it is about a movie like this. Maybe it's just my bias towards old things, but. The contrivances don't bother me here. I think it's maybe it's that they don't like an Adam Sandler movie will actually spend 10 minutes telling you you should care about Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore after them being idiots for the whole movie. This movie really doesn't do that. It they aren't taking it any seriously, more seriously than the audience is mostly yeah, fine romance. Yeah, we'll play the the romance and the sexual tension real enough to make it all land but mm-hmm. yeah uh, like you said jake once the final dance happens we're just gonna burn through the rest of this right. plot <laughs> it's all about getting to never gonna dance yeah and then all right now we gotta have a happy our happy <laughs> ending and everybody's just gotta sort of laugh and uh, these stage actors are all friends anyway in real life they can't be expected to even act like they hate each other so <laughs> right they're about to hug each other and take a bow for the curtain so Let's just drop the pretenses here. <laughs> There's a dance in Top Hat where Astaire and Rogers shake hands at the end of the dance. And I was reading Roger Ebert's review of that. And he said, you just have to assume that was the two performers shaking hands. It doesn't make sense in the plot, but it makes sense as far as Astaire and Rogers just got done doing something awesome <laughs> and are taking a little bow for the audience. Yeah. Um, What's what, One thing I noticed is that there's a lot of emotional nuance in the scene. In the dance or in the little comedic moment, yeah. there's like a ton of nuance of the relationship and what's happening in the story. But then there's going to be no connective tissue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. He was about to lose his pants, but now he has thousands of dollars in a suit and <laughs> every, everything has changed. And that dancing instructor, who was that guy? He's gone now. He's not going to appear again in the movie. It's, we it's don't just need like, him anymore. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't care about the, it, it cares about the moment. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it even cares about it in a way that's borderline psychologically realistic. Right. But it doesn't care about anything in between. And so it's just this, but it works. It works, but it's weird. It's the for our sensibility. It's the benefit of having such a simple plot is that we always know where we are. We're at in it. We we actually don't need the connective tissue, right? Maybe that's what's smart about this movie, as opposed to an Adam Sandler movie. An Adam Sandler movie will waste time on the connective tissue, uh-huh. where this movie is just like it's a Starr and Rogers movie. They're not in love <laughs> now because they have to be later. So uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, like we needed a reason for her to be angry. He screwed up all the things and. But now he's made all the money and he's got all the clothes and she's still angry. Right. This is going to be silly. And now we're going to show you the point where he overcomes it. Right. This is going to be silly. What are some better one-liners we can throw in here? Oh, yeah. Make that face. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) Even the connective tissue within scenes is bad. Like, if I'm romance, he's like, I I can't give in. Hey, (laughs) guess what, buddy? I'm going to give in now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Now, after I've been so careful to keep you guys apart and all this stuff, I'm just going to come over and 
let you know about his fiance. Yeah, his <laughs> buddy's like, by the way. <laughs> the world. <laughs> it's just, I love how much they don't care about <laughs> maintaining any kind of plausibility about those things. But then you're right, Ben. The individual moments play and you you feel kind of invested yeah. in the characters. Like, oh, no, she's mad at yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's just a different world. It's like a different way of making movies. Yeah. Know? That probably is closest to something like Jackie Chan or something where it's yeah. just like the individual sequences are what matter. And it just, we're going to find the easiest clothespin to hang these individual garments on and yes. nothing else matters. This, the first sequence is a good sequence to watch what I was talking about as far as a stare just being a wonderful physical performer, even when he's not. The way that he throws those dice the first time and he just kind of pauses and he just hits this like almost comic book pose. Like he's a really entertaining guy. <laughs> to watch i just watch this movie again or watch it for the first time if you haven't seen it just watch the way he sits in chairs he's always leaning forward there's just never a moment that's not choreographed mm -hmm. yeah watch his body language with ginger rogers he's always telling a story as to how he's interested in her he's always kind of leaning forward or leaning back or kind of swiveling a little bit it's just sort of somebody who just has like jack nicholson maybe with his demonic glee that he brings to everything <laughs> has that same kind of thing, but in a much more subtle way and it's in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. um, Astaire really gets that. So we have this whole awesome uh, cuffs plot. <laughs> 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 and then I do, I just want to throw a little bit more love to the no cuffs guy because the no cuffs guy always makes me laugh. I like, guess hilarious. He's really funny. Yeah. It's a really funny little. <laughs> 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 Millions of no cuffs. <laughs> And then I like when positively his not and more yeah, positively <laughs> not more than no no cuffs positively not one cuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love it; just always cracks me up when his friend comes back for the last time, and then the guy turns and grabs another giant book and he puts it on the table, and then we just cut away. <laughs> you feel him ramping up to another speech. <laughs> yeah, it's very modern. It's very kind of uh, oh yeah meta comedy kind of almost. I don't, I don't know it. it, it feels like the kind of thing that you don't see a lot although you then you watch philadelphia story and you realize oh yeah these guys were just as witty and ironic as we i mean we think we've got a corner on irony now but yeah uh, no they actually had the corner on irony and were much more sophisticated about it <sighs> yeah but i i love the no cuffs guy and i love like one of i think jake was saying that astaire doesn't have to get the laughs yeah in this movie. Mm -hmm. yeah i love the humility of i love the humility of Fred Astaire in general. I love the humility of practicing and practicing and just giving himself to technique. And I love the humility of letting all these side characters score because you, it makes the in-between in stuff better. And you've got the big stuff. Like nobody's going to walk away from this movie and not say that it was Fred Astaire's mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. And so it just makes you look better. Yep. But so many actors don't understand that. Uh, so we meet the fiance. We meet the Dad. <laughs> the dad is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that whole scene. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. 
I knew it. He's a no good dancer, and uh, he's not worthy of my daughter. And I'm gonna. Uh, oh, you made a couple hundred dollars today. Well, <laughs> son, I, uh, you know, I feel like I'm losing a son here. What, what does he do? <laughs> yeah. It's like everyone's going crazy at the same time. It's like, wait, what just yeah. happened? Yeah, <laughs> we even got the. We're gonna swap out the the grand the, the portraits of the grandfather. Yeah, yes. I love that. <laughs> uh, the dog is mad at him. And the dog, the is, cat is the cat is like so weird. <laughs> It's so funny. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I could probably count on one hand the number of movies. That's probably not true. But it's like, even something like Philadelphia Story, there's a sense in which I'm, for a lot of the movie, appreciating it more than I'm actually laughing out loud, LOLing at the jokes. But this movie really makes me LOL. Like, I was watching it by myself. I didn't have a chance to watch it with my wife. So I, I never LOL when I'm watching anything by myself, even something that I would with <laughs> other people. But this movie has like, Five or six belly laughs, which is awesome. <sighs> so he's told off by dad. And then we have the meet cute with Ginger Rogers and the button and the cigarette machine and the mm-hmm. lame authority figure cop. <laughs> Pops palm in the quarter. We have quite a joke for the time with the... I said, look out for the great big ditch. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> the great big ditch i i could not believe that they got away with that actually yeah i'm trying to think if there's anything to actually say about this scene that we haven't already said i mean the chemistry between astaire and rogers is off the charts i don't know what to say about that it's 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 really hard to quantify what makes two people crackle on screen in a way that two other people could be doing the exact same stuff and you just wouldn't feel excited about it. Something to do with the actors actually liking each other or. Well, and I mean, knowing that it's going to go somewhere. Yeah. Plays into it too. Right. Like the movie's not being coy about it. Mm-hmm. And so playing it straightforward is, I don't know. We know we're going to have, this is all leading to a first dance number that's full of its own kind of tension. Mm hmm. So, mm-hmm. that brings its own level of excitement to it. I right. Think. That is fun. If, when, as you watch the performance of the guy that plays Pop, who's a really interesting <laughs> sidekick. He's a weirdo. Yeah, he's really weird. And he has this kind of slow delivery. and <laughs> It's like sort of drunken, sort of, yeah, it's just, yeah, weird. It, weirdly inhibited and weirdly uninhibited. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a strange combination of things. Yeah. And it, what, I think what's fun though to watch about that performance is to realize that guy was a big star on Broadway. His name is Victor Moore in the 1920s. And so what you're actually seeing is the rhythms of Broadway in his performance. He's timing everything and kind of going slow the way that you would. Like you could imagine something like him being big in the ways that he is and small in the ways he is. You can imagine that really connecting. It must have really connected on the stage mm-hmm. in a way that comes off as just a completely different performing style. Like you're not even sure what planet this guy is from right. when you oh, see him yeah. in the film. Yeah. And you contrast that which the, with the much snappier, we're aware of the camera and we can do things both subtle, more subtle and more fast because we know how a camera works. Astaire and Rogers kind of like we came up mostly with Hollywood and have adapted to it. Not that the guy didn't, but I just think you're seeing an interesting example of an old kind of rhythm and if you watch like the really early marx brothers movies they have that kind of 
rhythm and it's really boring. Like it's really <laughs> slow and they're pausing for laughs that don't come mm-hmm. because you're watching a movie and without a laugh track, without a laugh track. <laughs> and you can tell it's the kind of thing And the Marx brothers quickly figured that out and sped everything up and became some of the fastest performers. But anyways, I'm not criticizing Victor Moore. I think he's great in this movie, but he's just got this really weird energy. <laughs> yeah. And then you have Helen Broderick and she compliments it really well. <laughs> yeah, She brings so her awesome. own weirdness. Right. She's, <laughs> oh, my sandwich got inside of you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then she just starts doing weird things too. That's part of the, part of the weirdness of the comedy is like, you just don't like, why is she saying these? What They're funny, but why is she saying them right now? <laughs> and why is she going off on the lady? looking at her jewelry. There's just all these weird interactions. It's funny. Yeah. It's not not funny. It's just like, you just don't know what to do. It's just not the kind of thing you That's see. That's one of my favorite moments. She's walking. They've split the stairs. Right. And they're telegraphing Rogers and a stair later. And all that sort of like set up, like she's talking to him and he's not there. And it's... I'm <laughs> Honey, I'm my own grandma. <laughs> I have to keep the old lady. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> yes. like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is a great joke. It's a sort of wry. I realize that I look completely insane right now. And so I'm just going to lean into it and be even more insane. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to let you know that I'm insulting you in some way, but you're not sure how. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you're actually the fool, not me. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of that, that style was in Philadelphia story when Hepburn yeah, and, and yeah. her sister come in and are doing the weird French stuff oh, right. or when Stuart picks up the phone and says, this is the voice of doom. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> like kind That's of, my favorite. I should be out of place here, but actually it's you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, so uh, what, one thing I was interested well, in that's is... What great comics- that's what great comics do is yeah. they, they come in and they flip the narrative and control the room. And that's part of like where they come from. It is that place of I've been so insecure or whatever, or in so disadvantaged. I'm just, I've figured out how to flip the script on everybody all the time. Mm. That's where my comedy comes from. That's mm-hmm. my superpower. And so that's what Helen Broderick does really well in this movie is yeah. she, she just gives you the sense of, I know I'm not the pretty one. I, I know all I've got is my personality. So here, have some personality. <laughs> You're the idiot. Right. You think <laughs> I'm the colorful sidekick. <laughs> well, so so how does modern like modern quote unquote screwball comedies? Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. I I've never seen actually a classic Sandler. Right. I've seen bits, and I've always been like, yeah, no. But does, he tries to do this right in his own way. Right. Or is it different? How is it different? But, I mean, obvi- obvious. Aside from being more debauched, how is it different? But I think that modern comedy oftentimes doesn't understand for one thing is that you need a straight man. And so Sandler mm-hmm. will come in and he'll be doing shtick. Right. And he'll be doing shtick that could be funny, but there won't just be somebody to play off of somebody to play mm-hmm. off of somebody who's like, uh, I mean, you watch a movie like this, like you watch a good comedy. You don't laugh. I mean, I, I know I've said this before in places, but you don't laugh because Costello is being acting like a child. You laugh because we cut back to Abbott and he's like, Oh, why are you acting like a child? You really, you need to use our example. You need, you need Lance there to be annoyed by Chip or to be mm-hmm. put upon or to say, Chip. Well, but I mean, so hmm. much of modern comedy is actually about 
I mean, it's the Lauren Michaels school of comedy where it's not about being funny today. It's about being funny tomorrow when you're talking with your friends. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm not giving you something that's going to make you laugh. Maybe I'll, I'll strike gold and give you something that you actually laugh at tonight on your own. But tomorrow, when you go and talk about it with your friends, you guys will all be the straight man to Adam Sandler as you, huh. as you perform his shtick or laugh about his shtick, as you perform yeah, Will Ferrell's shtick and laugh about his shtick. Huh. And so, it's not about being funny in the movie. It's about being able to live with, you walk out of the movie with your group of friends and then you repeat the shtick and you repeat the shtick and you repeat the shtick and it gives you something to laugh about and talk about and come back to. And then you want to go back and watch it five times and memorize the lines so that, because it's all part of your collective experience and it's the grease for the wheels of your relationships. Hmm. Right. It's that sort of like, I'm giving you a shared experience here that's eccentric that you can always laugh about and have in common. Which means the more, more vulgar and transgressive, the better. Exactly right. And so it just plays into that. And so it's like the more sticky and the more, more vulgar and the more transgressive, that's going to work and you're going to love it. And it's not because I'm actually trying to make you laugh in the theater. It's because I'm giving you something hmm. to laugh about with your friends later. Huh. And, and that's a way that a lot of comedy modern comedy, modern vulgar comedy is gone for that, exactly that reason. It is not about the laugh in the moment. It is about giving you something to laugh about after the movie with your friends over some bush light. Well, it's a sad, sad yeah. state of affairs. It is sad. I think the other thing about modern comedy is it's just, it's like- what I've talk- seen all of Adam Sandler's movies. Hmm. I mean, I grew for up- For all of those reasons. I grew like, up with the, That's what I- That huh. era of the okay. water boy. That was me that. and my friends. I just like, never that's, did. That- Watched a lot of Saturday Night Live, watched a huh. lot of the Saturday Night yeah. Live style movies and actors that came out of that. And that's really what it was about. And it, I, I don't think I was ever fooled by thinking these movies were actually really funny, funny in and of themselves. But it sure was a lot of fun hmm. with your friends to... I can't know, believe quote, he punched quote. Bob Barker. Yeah. And, and you just repeat the line, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the price is wrong. Oh, there's the line. Or even just like, stop looking at me, swan, or whatever. The dumb little, mm-hmm. you can do it. You can do it all night long. You know, mm-hmm. it's all, all those little lines that you can just like pull. And it's like, those lines aren't even meant to be funny in the moment, but they are meant they're for you to use. They're sticky. They're not funny. They're, they're sticky little phrases that you can use for your own comedic purposes, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. yep. they're giving you like your own one-liners for your own comedic moments. Huh. And so it's like when you pull out, you can do it. You pull if you pull it out at the right time, it gets everybody laughing. Everybody gets the reference. Everybody knows what you're talking about. And if you pull it at the right time, you're the hero of the moment. You don't even have to be a creative comic genius of your own. You can just like riff on Lauren Michaels style comedy. Huh. Yep. I'm just flashing back to Austin Powers three and get in my belly and all right all, all that stuff stuff right. And how many times have you? said or been around somebody's said get in my belly i've never said it but mm. uh, me and me and ben defined ourselves we, we did the same thing we just defined ourselves with our little dumb groups as we're the people that don't see movies like that <laughs> i mean honestly for the most part it never entered my i don't know I, what did i what did i watch for comedy i don't, I don't even know now I, mystery men that was the my kind thing of guy who's gonna end day. up in a van down by the river ben 
<laughs> You're right, Jake. Oh, man. It is. By the river. Yeah, and we should, we should add, although it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, that the modern uh, morbid habit of abusing Monty Python comes out of the way that the, what Jake just said. Like, Monty Python actually does have real comedy they in do, it. They do, yeah. But people yeah. don't use it. They use it as a catchphrase generator right. um, for jocks to say catchphrases to each other. And it's a misuse of Monty Python, and it's demeaned the whole brand, and it's made me not even want to watch Monty Python, and shame on you. But there is a humanity. good way of using Monty Python catchphrases for group comedy, Nathan, that helps be, build relationships. That's right, Ben. <laughs> it's when they're in the proper context. That's right. <laughs> All that we want to emphasize for people. <laughs> if only John Cleese were here, this right now could actually become a Monty Python skit. <laughs> <laughs> we have a setup of some kind. I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all there. It's all there. It's all there. We just need John Cleese to be here. Mm-hmm. E- easier done than <laughs> said. <laughs> Hello, folks. This is me, John Cleese. I think that's um, Eric Idle. Yeah, that's Eric Idle. Oh, man, I can't stand Eric Idle. Um, I have mixed thoughts about Monty Python. Anyway. I wonder why. Yeah. The, because I felt depressed by it growing up. The Because... Uh, Weirdly, for such a, th- a thing that doesn't really feel mainstream, it did. It, it was one of those things that all the kind of goober, all the goober faces kind of <laughs> <laughs> would seize on, and you uh, know, it, yeah, me and all my goober faced friends mm. watched Holy Grail and stuff like that. Mm. And- it's just a flesh wound. Ah! <laughs> my, when I when I really began Each to like it was yeah. <laughs> when I really began to like Monty Python was when I was a homeschooled kid and I think I'd seen Holy Grail and didn't know what to think of it exactly and then a, f- a friend who had like radio <laughs> the radio play version of of their skits yeah, so like would the, play them in the, the car records, yeah. no that's the best mm-hmm. actually when you're just he- hearing them like radio plays is better than visual in my opinion yep. Imagine your own Monty Python. There folks. you go. All right. <sighs> All right. Well, I'm glad that was we, free. I'm gladly litigated. Elevated from from sneer to, mm, yeah. to from sincere to sincere to, to I don't know what that was. This is a, <laughs> it's like a reverse sneer, it's wasn't rever- it? Yeah. yeah. Man, it was mm. intense. The other thing that I just don't think com- modern comedy has is look at all this riffing. They're always riffing, like yeah, I said something funny. They said there's there's not a straight man, and there's not. It's like what we talk about with action movies. It's like it's it's all funny, so nothing's funny. There's not setups and payoffs. Like they just don't think structurally, which I think is is less funny. I don't know. Which so. every aspect of this movie does. So if you think even just in terms of the choreography, mm-hmm. we're gonna have several dances. From the very first dancing with Fred and Ginger, it's going to end with them going off off screen behind a curtain together. Mm-hmm. And that's going to happen three or four times throughout the movie until Never Gonna Dance, mm. when they're going to go all the way up to the moment, and then Fred's going to stop short, yeah, and, and uh, Ginger's going to fly off yeah. past the curtain, right? Like, mm-hmm. And that's just like set up payoff, mm-hmm. right? And and so the setup payoff is going to be in the jokes. It's going to be in the dance routine. It's going to be in the choreography, and it's all going to be building. I mean, it, even the lyrics of of never going to dance, where he's talking about losing his penny, mm-hmm. right? Like, how many times have you watched 
or could you watch that and not actually put together? I think this was my first time where I realized how much he was actually saying in that those weird lyrics about the wolf and the everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are weird lyrics. Yeah, about losing his penny in connecting it. And then that moment in the end when he tosses his lucky quarter over his shoulder because he's finally got his penny. Mm. And the whole like, lucky penny. My name's lucky. Her name's penny. Like all those like little things that like, they're they're not little. They're really like, like as a writer, you would feel stupid. But this is kind of all part of the the structure of how you make something feel yeah. like it comes together even if, when you're not going to work on things like connective tissue. No, I, I, I take it for granted that they chose not to work on the connective tissue and that they put all, it was because they were putting a lot of other work into other things and they thought that was the best choice. But this is a script that took time and energy and writing and rewriting and like there's real blood, sweat and tears in this. It's not the kind of thing that stands out like on the level of Philadelphia story to take our most recent example. Right. But this is a skillfully done souffle. This is this is very mm-hmm. light, very sort of incidental, very very wispy in its way, but intentionally so. And it takes a lot of work to make something as substantially wispy as this that mm-hmm. really works. <sighs> okay, where were we? So we met Helen Broderick. We met that the gay dance instructor. I guess we're, <laughs> we're meeting them right now. Oh, Penny! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> he's great. He's really good. Um, and, and by the way, I don't think people were idiots back then or they didn't understand the concept of gay or anything like that. I mean, um, no, it's coded. Yeah, no, it's coded. And it's not like we're getting it past all the rubes. No, all no, the rubes, it's the like, joke. They thought it was funny. It's like, the joke. Haha, this guy's a gay British guy. Yep. There we go. Funny. There were little effete butlers and villains often. And this guy's kind of a villain and his. And it's the closest thing the movie has to a villain besides Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> or the mobsters. Yeah, or the mobsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this movie's replete with villains. <laughs> regular rogues gallery. Or the dancing troupe at the beginning. Yeah, yeah those guys oh, are yeah? jerks. Yeah, they were. Yeah. I like it when Fred Astaire's missed his train and they all gather around him and are sarcastically waving yeah. goodbye. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> Let's just rub some salt in them, the wound here. So I guess we're to the first big dance number. The what's the name of the song? Pick yourself up. Yeah, which might be my Dust favorite in the, in the movie. Actually, again. I tend to enjoy the more comedic, light things that in these kinds of movies. Donald O'Connor is my favorite in Singing in the Rain, and mm-hmm. Pick Yourself Off is is <clears throat> Pick Yourself Off. P- p- pick Yourself Off. <laughs> Take a gun. No, no. It's a great number, and I love Astaire's elegant non-dancing. And then, man, what a... It's worth cutting that first number, actually, for the first full statement of his brilliance to, just yeah. being when they have to show off for Eric Bloor, the, the, the gay guy. And he just... And he has to sit there and... Very impressed. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when Astaire finally just, like, snaps into action there, when he just does his first little volley uh-huh. of taps, like, it's like, yay! It's... <laughs> <laughs> And then we cut to Ginger making this like, like oh, <laughs> I'm odd and impressed and madly in love with you suddenly. <laughs> right. No, she does so much with, I mean, they know to cut to her there because like you were saying, Ben, she, she, she is Fred Astaire's glory. Like she, just by thinking he's the coolest guy in the world, she makes us think she's the coolest guy in the world. Yeah. She, she adds 
so much. To, yeah, she is the coolest guy in the world. Yep. Yep. Basically. <laughs> and she makes herself look better, right? Like yeah. she's, yeah. we all think of her yeah. as the second greatest dancer of all time, even though anybody that really knows dance, which isn't me, by the way, I'm just relying on experts here, but she's not, but she's in the conversation because she was Fred's best partner. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because she was a great actress and a hard worker. So there you go. I don't know if there's anything much more to say about that dance itself. It's fun. And it makes the way that they jump over those uh, the railing look like it's nothing, like just completely effortless. Yeah, no. I, that's one thing I always notice. Whenever they they're swinging each other over the railing, it's like, what in the world? Yeah, they that's do it. So they do hard. it a number of times, all in the same shot, and it looks completely effortless. And <sighs> she does it just as well as he does. She jumps the final one. Yeah, it's crazy. And yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And she has a big grin on her face the whole time. If you want to see what we're talking about in terms of her acting her way through these performances, mm-hmm. it's really hard physical work. There's no reason that you would actually be grinning while you have to do what they're doing. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's put on, it's a performance people. If you didn't know that, like, but they just make it look absolutely elegant. And I like Fred Astaire's Dan or um, acting too. He has the best Anna Stinka face in Hollywood history. Probably he pulls it on ginger a number of times. <laughs> when, Please teach her. Teach me something. And, and he has this little, like, look at me. I'm just a naughty schoolboy kind of look on his face, <laughs> which he does. My favorite time in this movie is actually later when she says a fine romance. I don't remember what the line is, but she says something about you're as cold as a hot potato or something. And then we cut to a stare and he does like, a, he looks around like, who, me? Is there someone <laughs> standing behind me that you're talking to? Uh, he's really good at that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, What's gotten into you? My sandwich got into him. You're fired. Okay, well, swivel puss. Still fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as dumb and lame and dorky as it is, uh, their dance and the fact when they when the guy bursts through the <laughs> fence and everything, he lands yeah. right on top of it. Lands right on it's top. It's great. Of, it's yeah. great. And then you're still fired. And then they and then they come in and they're like, ta-da! <laughs> 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 it's pretty great. They've been having this whole other conversation out here while they've been over there dancing. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, I, so the other thing I suppose we could talk about with their dancing is it's interesting that she their their body types together are really interesting because she actually looks much thicker and more substantial than he does in a lot of ways. Like her shoulders are almost as broad as he is, and she's usually but her waist. Yeah, her waist and is so narrow. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But oftentimes she'll be sort of standing as a center of gravity and then he'll be like this wraith kind of be zipping around her. And it's actually not if you think about the just the standard dance scene in a movie, it'll often be a guy standing and a girl Mm -hmm. being zipped around him. But they often often flip that. They're both really skinny, petite kind of people, actually. They're very slight people. Okay, so we have the baller throwdown when he dances, and then we go to, and then we get some plot. They got to check into the hotel, and Penny's mad at him for some reason that I don't even. Why is Penny mad at him? I don't even remember. Well, that. it's because they're gonna go to the Silver Saddle or whatever, and then he stands her up for that, and he loses his clothes to it, some drunk guy. It, yeah, who's hilarious. Yeah, I like that guy. Okay, <laughs> what well, I forget what what game it is that they play. Uh, like. The so and so's have always played. I can't do his voice, but he's, just, or something. he's yeah. just funny. 
Yeah, yeah. that guy's great. Just having those little side uh, supporting characters come in, knock it out of the park. That's great. These people are such little people. Yeah. Yeah. And Fred's the tallest of them. That's interesting. So, what's Fred's height? 5'9". 5'9". Yeah. People also search for Judy Garland, 4'11". Wow. (laughs) Whoa. Gene Kelly, 5'7". Ginger Rogers, 5'4". Sid Charisse, 5'7". Crazy. Ann Miller, 5'7". Frank Sinatra, 5'7". Audrey Hepburn, 5'7". Weird. They're my size. (laughs) (laughs) Little guys. Little guys. But, yeah, that Judy Garland at 4'11". She plays like... I mean, there's a reason she's a a drag icon. Mm Mm-hmm. She plays on screen like substantial, substantial, a substantial woman. But yeah. I mean, she could also she also plays the most famous little girl ish role of all time. Yeah, but after that, oh, well, meet me in St. Louis. Yeah, or anything. Did like you that. say a drag icon? Yeah, I don't. I don't know this. The gay, the gay community loves Judy Garland I the mean, same way they she, love Cher. She's saying someone somewhere over the rainbow for crying. Out okay, all um, right. It, huh. You know, it has things. Judy Garland and Cher have kinds of facial structures that while Judy Garland's a pretty woman, the gay community seized on them as somebody that they could aspire to in their style and whatever. Huh. Right. Well, they have husky, track. they have husky, husky voices, voices. Huh. Uh, strong jaw lines. Huh. I see. I did not know this. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I'm enlightened. Liz Minnelli would be the other big one, but she's, yeah. a, she's a little later. So, <laughs> What were we talking about? Interesting. Oh, we were talking about the hotel stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Fred. Plot stuff. There's we plot. to the hotel. They've got a, what do you call the thing where you, like, you go and you. They're on strike? An audition. Oh, yeah, they, they got the audition, which they don't make it to. Fred and his friend go on strike. I Again, it makes me laugh. I don't know even why it makes me laugh, but it, it gets she a genuine LOL. Comrade. Yeah, yeah. That whole scene when they walk past each other and give the little waves, <laughs> like, good to see you again on the picket line, friend. <laughs> it's great. And then Fred introducing to the world, the first one to sing the song, and I think the best, The Way You Look Tonight. And they kind of play it for a joke with her coming out, with her forgetting herself mm-hmm. and coming out with the shampoo and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's a really... I think swooningly romantic, even in spite of the fact that they cap it with a punchline. It's it's a nice romantic moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I remember seeing a meme on Facebook. The first I, I'd never heard that song, but I saw the meme put part of the lyrics. What is it? Touches my foolish heart. Mm-hmm. The, the way that you wrinkle your nose or something touches my foolish heart. And then the bottom half of the meme was baby, 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 oh, baby, 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 oh. <laughs> so There's a contrast between old songwriting and modern <laughs> romance songwriting. That's <laughs> great. Well, that is powerful. I mean, I think in terms of romantic ballads in the Americos songbook, could you name a better one? I mean, yeah. the idea of one day when I'm old and when I'm, you know. When I'm, when I'm 64? Yeah. But it, it does that work, but does it better than when I'm 64. Uh-huh. Like it's just the yeah. idea, this is the moment that I'm going to look back on when I'm sad and old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is the, the look that I want to capture in my mind. This is, ah oh man, it's so romantic. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, I don't have anything profound to say about it, but it's, it's a really romantic song and Fred really sells it. And the other thing that's nice about as Fred time is time goes by as time goes, yeah, time goes by would be the other one. But that one doesn't have an as iconic of a version. I mean, it's got Sam. Yeah. But huh. this way you look has Sinatra for better or worse. And I think it's got Fred too. But maybe that's just me. <sighs> it's 
It's great. As we've said, Rogers really knows how to soften up and look like Fred's charms are working on it. And she sells the heck out of that. Like, I was mad at him, but then he started tinkling those ivories, tickling those ivories. And, uh, <laughs> 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 I'm leaving that in. <laughs> that was a verbal slip up, folks. All right. The plot. Then we have more plot. Oh, yeah. More plot. Well, now that we're back together, we have to have, and we resolve that tension, we got to have some external tension. Yep. We got the Latin Lothario. <laughs> One of the most boringly written parts that, I mean, I think it's a joke. I think the movie's actually meta and ironic and witty enough that. The fact that the bad guy is so lame, I think, is is part of the charm and intentionally so. And, and that guy, well, yeah, you can, you've got to not take him seriously. Yeah, right? he's 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 just a, he's hilarious. Yeah, he's great. He he really he really sells he, it. He, 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 he plays like the bartender in Casablanca. Since we've brought up Casa, Casablanca now, you know. Mm. But I love you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. I love you. But he pays me. He pays me. Um, <laughs> He's great. You know what else I love about this section of the movie is it starts snowing and I just love it anytime in a movie that it snows. I think in California where they make these things, they forget that it snows. And so it's just always kind of springtime in most movies. But anytime that they remember that a good chunk of the world has snow, it just adds a lot of evocative. I mean, this movie almost feels like a Christmas movie or something. It feels it has that extra mm-hmm. dash. I always forget, like even at the end when the Going out and looking at the snow, I forget that it's in winter, though. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, it doesn't mm-hmm. have that feeling, but the couple moments where it does mm-hmm. are yeah. nice. And and Astaire gets to wear that absolutely pimpin' coat the, with, with the fur and everything. It's a good look for him. I guess that's... Oh, no, we're not there yet. We have to talk about waltz and, and swing time. Also perfectly tailored. Yes. It always blows my mind because it's like... I mean, yeah, he's such a slight guy. Yeah. And yet, a style icon. I guess a f- famous fun fact about Astaire, he hated tails and coats. He, he did, Once he huh. stopped doing these kinds of movies, he never wore them again. But I don't know. And maybe that wasn't that fun of a fact. But it's a fact. <laughs> so we're going to have some plot with the contracts and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Probably the lamest section of a great movie that doesn't have a lame section. But I, I, I thought it was all funny. Yeah. I had a good time watching it. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. In relative levels of greatness, I'd say it's probably the relatively slightest <laughs> level of greatness. <laughs> the idea that, you know, these mobsters are going to pull out a trick deck and, you know, not catch that <laughs> Pops is going to catch it and jump in and do a weird thing real quick. Mm. And oh, yeah, the fact that they actually let that stand yeah, <laughs> is pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. The fact and then we're going to come back and like a stair is just going to let them use their trick deck and ruin everything <laughs> yeah it's pretty funny and, and then so he owns his contract so i guess he just owns his contract for a chunk of the movie and, but yeah then we're, what we're really doing is leading up to the next big number which is waltz and swing time she's wearing that iconic dress with all the feathery stuff yeah at the bottom and it's one of the two big more romantic kind of ballroom numbers in the movie Let's see, what would we say about that? It's one of the bigger, nicer numbers, and it's also one of the most forgettable because it's not... There's no gimmick to it. There's, mm-hmm. nothing, there's nothing really special about it. It's just another... There's not, and there's not a lot of tension 
you know, at play. So the first dance number between them, it's like the mm -hmm. get to know you and, you know, mm -hmm. look, I'm surprising you and we're surprising everybody here. Bojangles has got, is all kinds of gimmicky. The, the uh, never going to dance is all the romantic sexual tension you could want. And mm -hmm. this one just doesn't have anything else. Right. Which is a little unusual for a Fred and Astaire, or, or Fred and Astaire movie. I, I sort of said this earlier, but just to be absolutely clear, one of the things that, so Rogers and Hammerstein and people like that innovated the completely integrated plot musical where the, the songs are the plot. Mm -hmm. But Fred Astaire was already heading that direction. And mostly his songs do achieve some plot purpose, sometimes very much so, like Never Let Me Dance. It tells the entire character of the story of these characters coming together, basically. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the plot is pretty much superfluous. But also, he would just usually find a plot reason, like even a silly one, like, well, you're going to get thrown out of your, your dance instruction school if we don't prove that you can dance, which is unusual. If you watch the movies that I said Ginger Rogers came up in, like Gold Diggers of 1933, it's the plot takes place around a Broadway review so that we can feature random numbers, a little bit more like White Christmas harkens back to this style. Right. Where it's like yeah. none of the numbers, maybe one or two of them they don't mean have something. To because, or even singing in the rain pays tribute to this kind of thing where it's like, we're going to come up with an idea for a movie within the thing that is our excuse for having this wild, colorful Broadway. Mm -hmm. Like, this is our storyboarding of. Yeah, yeah. And so we could just basically make it. And indeed, the scene in Singing in the Rain that I always think is pretty boring and also the raciest scene is is just that long musical review section that has nothing to do with yeah it's just we want a really colorful musical review thing in here right and so rogers hammerstein never would have stood for that for them it's almost always like this is part of the dancing cavalier guys uh, 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 maria and the captain are there will they get together what's the baroness gonna is is, is judd gonna sexually assault the girl in Oklahoma? That's the big question in Oklahoma, <laughs> which is a crazy weird story, but uh, <laughs> anyway. And I, I, by the way, I'm not being crass about Rogers and Hammerstein. They really did think and talk in terms of sex very explicitly. Like, hmm. Sound of Music is the story of a fresh-faced young girl that shows up and a captain, and uh, like, that's how they thought of it. That's how they talked about it. And it, hey, it worked for them. So, it was Waltz and Swing Time, I think that maybe the only other thing I would say about this, that particular dance is it's a good argument for black and white. I think this whole movie is, but there is actually something that becomes more iconic when you strip away the color. Like you're taking away one distraction, actually. You're, it becomes just about lines and movement and not about the color and it allows the background to fade away. And I wonder if Astaire and Rogers would have had the same impact in color, actually. I think black and white does them more favors than it doesn't do them you can think about that folks and decide if you think it's true so then we have the walk in the snow we have uh, rogers in his coat we have a fine romance a stare in his coat oh, sorry sorry yeah a stare oh, in, yeah yeah a stare in his coat and what to say about that so that's my favorite section of the movie actually even though it doesn't have a big dance number or something i just i really like that song i think it's funny and I like the back and forth chemistry and I like the snow and what's their faces, Doc and Rick and Morty. What are their names? Uh, <laughs> Pop, Pop and Mabel. Pop and Mabel are pretty funny. Mm -hmm. 
in that scene. I don't know. What deep insights <laughs> do you guys have? Into- Let me show you where we used to go ice fishing. I thought you said you only came here in summertime. Well, let me show you where we didn't go ice fishing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's great. I don't I don't have any deep insights to say about that scene, that section, I don't think, besides it's great. It's It's interesting how hard she tries. Yes. How hard she works. You mean to get lucky to... Yeah, she's going to cozy up to him mm-hmm. and say, it's cold, <laughs> and try to... Just, she's working awfully hard. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's nothing to say about the, the sexual politics and sexual dynamics of, of that side of things. But there is something about the less he seems to care, the less ready he seems to cave, the more she seems really interested and intrigued. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, I mean, they were, they did not have to. What am I trying to say? They could just do human nature because they didn't have a bunch of progressive politics that they had to think about. So they could just think about like, how are people? Mm -hmm. And anyone who's been in any kind of relationship has felt the push and pull of, oh, he's coming on really strong and uh, she's kind of putting up shields and, but then she falls in love and I mean... Mm-hmm. He's lost interest because she's put up too many shields and now she's like, wait a minute. And well, I'm a woman, so I know one trick that'll probably work <laughs> is uh, getting cozy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh no, this trick is working. Better stand up and flap your arms. Flap your arms. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I love, I will say about that, the sexual politics of it is I don't think a modern movie would acknowledge that having someone grab your arm when you're both wearing snow wear in the cold has that kind of potency. But this movie mm. understands. That's potent enough. That yeah, was an aggressive just... sexual act of what What would you Penny. say? Of what? Sorry, go ahead. It was yeah, an aggressive yeah, sexual yeah, act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that was a very. Yep. That was like a hardcore. She threw down the gauntlet and went after she him. Took an, she made an advance. Right. A real one. And she... The whole thing was designed for that. First, it was, is he going to finally make an advance here on me? Well, I'm going to invite it. I'm going to open it up. Gee, it's cold. All right, I'm going to put my arm. Mm-hmm. I'm going grab, grab to grab your arm, slip my hand in. And, all right, like, now I'm really out there. Yeah, and it, it doesn't take that much, like, uh, for her to feel really burned and rejected mm-hmm. at that point. And I think that that's right. Oh, yeah. She like, really put herself out there. It's uh, just something I don't think we understand in the age of getting jiggy with it and uh, flesh everywhere and sex everywhere. Like grabbing somebody's shoulder, like a, a, a profound thing to do. I mean, anybody I think that's actually been in any kind of a healthy dating relationship has had that moment where you both hold hands or something and it's like, whoa, electrifying. Yeah. yeah. But shockwave. Hollywood. Is like the only thing that could possibly be electrifying is sex. Sex. They <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Actually, just the mm-hmm. idea of having of sex, or the idea of not having sex, or the idea of could we, should we, or the I, like touch, touch. Yeah, a finger. Mm-hmm. That's right. The barrier being crossed. Mm-hmm. And by the way, between these two alien creatures, man and woman. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's like, are you are, are they coming to colonize our planet or not? You can tell the movie's taking those things more seriously because it actually doesn't give us. It's gonna it's gonna block the kiss with the door. 
mm-hmm. and then it's going to end with <clears throat> an embrace that implies a kiss but doesn't show you the kiss right mm-hmm. because they they understand that's all the audience needs yep. and we'll talk about it when we get there but that whole scene in her dressing room or whatever is something it's something it's the scene we were talking about when we were talking about choosing the takes yep yep <laughs> yep i don't know that we need to say anything else about it than that but anybody that's watched it knows what we're talking about they should and um, if not god bless your innocence yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I may not have the first time that I saw this movie because I was younger, but I sure noticed it this time. And I, I'm sure if my wife had been watching she it, noticed. she would have noticed. <laughs> and she would have noticed me notice. So, listen, this is it's a good lesson for storytellers, though. Even today in our desensitized, terrible age where everything is always assaulting your sentences. Your, your sentences. <laughs> wow. Uh, boy, your, your, boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. <laughs> your senses. Less is more. And the... The, the possibility of sex or the possibility of violence so much more interesting than the, the reality hints. of sex or the reality of violence. The hints and teases? My um, goodness. Look, uh, Clint Eastwood standing in a, in, a, in a graveyard and he's going to pull his gun on the bad guy and we don't know who's going to – so much more interesting. I mean, think about the tension that get the bad and the ugly gets out of a simple thing like that. Yeah. Like the buildup to the violence. And then the violence is he shot the guy. But today's movies are just all like – He's shooting the guy. Deal. They don't want to. They don't find the tension interesting, or they're they're so inured that there's no tension that they see to explore. Right. But that's not normal. That's abnormal. Right. There should. I mean, it's just a basic rule of storytelling and a basic rule of life and a basic rule of. But tension and release, right? Like that, that, that. That's what you have to have built into these narratives, and so often people just don't bother with simple things like that in stories i think it is because people are desensitized the audience is desensitized and so they just think they want more and more and more but in point of fact rogers wearing basically modest clothes and not doing anything but suggesting everything is much more potent than i don't know in the heights will be a very interesting counterpoint to this movie well yeah yeah it Hopefully not too interesting of a counterpoint that we feel bad talking about it, but... Um, yeah, we're just going to have to find out. Yeah. I mean, I think that at least nobody in this room questions Miranda's genius, and so we'll see. Yeah, and I hope that his genius is such that he likes to stay on a certain side of the line, which he more or, mm. or less did with Hamilton, but... Yeah. We'll find I mean, out. He, I, there was a lot of flesh in Hamilton in there, the background. There, there was a lot of... A line, lot of stuff. There was a lot of line crossing... But it was, it, it, there was a certain degree of calculated about it that, I don't know, we're, we're just going to have to see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But it, in any case, my only point is it'll be an interesting counterpoint, which is yep. why we're doing it. Yep. So, let's see. Yeah. Tension, release, the possibility of something. I mean, it's, it's what they say about horror movies. The possibility of a monster, way more interesting. When you finally show the monster, that's when people lose interest in the movie. And I've actually noticed this about myself. Like, I'll be sitting in a theater. I can really get swept, especially in a theatrical setting with good sound. I can really get swept up in a, a movie that has, like, action or violence or something like that or, or a scary or, or suspense movie. But after the first act of transgression, it's never the same. Like, even in, a, like, a cop thriller, let's say. If you haven't seen anyone get shot yet, I can really find myself wrapped up in the tension of when someone's going to get shot, but then, and what it's going to look like and how far they're going to go. But then once they do it, 
It's like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's that's what this director thinks a gunshot wound looks like. I know that. I don't, ha- <laughs> I don't have to dread it anymore. I can just like, and unfortunately, I've seen a lot of violence and as a younger man, let myself watch a lot of things I shouldn't have. I think I'm pretty used to that kind of scene. I'm, de- I'm more desensitized probably than the average person, but I can still, as long as they're not showing it to me, I can still really get swept up in it. But the second they're like, here's the monster, here's the violence, here's the sex, it's, it becomes so much less interesting. Mm-hmm. I understand if you're doing a monster movie, eventually you have to show the monster. Like, it's, it's, it's not that you can't have release for the tension, but there's just an artful way to do it. And one thing that's artful is re- knowing that there should be some tension. <laughs> okay, I think we're basically to Bojangles of... No, actually, the is there anything else we want to say about the dressing room scene? Because that's the next big kind of thing to say. There's everything we already said about it. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think we've been building to that moment and now we're going to explode it, but we're going to have a really fun dance number that really meant a lot to somebody because it's in here for a reason and it takes up a whole lot of screen time mm. and it's my favorite dance. doesn't have anything to do with the plot at all. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, but people kind of had seen the people had seen many a stare movies by this time and they knew that we, we needed the big showcase yeah. thing. And so that's what Bojangles is. It's like a, all right, here's what, here's what a stare can really do. Actually, mm-hmm. like he's not being held back by anyone but himself. And it's pretty incredible. I mean, if you don't know, he is timing his movements to, it's not like those shadows were put in later. The shadows would have been undone first. And then Astaire would have had to time his movements. He had a little uh, screen that he was watching. Yeah. Um, wow. And yeah, it took like three days or something like that for him to get it right. Uh, this is my memory. Wow. I, I watched this movie a couple months back, like back in, I think... I think this was like our Valentine's Day movie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something like back in February, something like that. So, all of the things that were really interesting back then, I looked at all up back right. then and they didn't feel the need to now. Now, I don't remember them all. <laughs> but, but yeah, like he was watching this little screen and timing it and you can actually see him knowing that, see him focused in on, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, everything perfectly timed. Those are his actual shadow. That's his actual shadow from other performances that he's then syncing himself up with in real time. Yep. Um, The only true dance partner that's a challenge for Fred Astaire is in fact Fred Astaire. Yeah. And three days to get it right or something like that. Yeah. For a little, for a three minute, basically one or two shot, maybe four shot sequence. They took three days. I do remember reading that. Yeah. Which is insane. I'm not surprised though. (laughs) Yeah. No. But yeah, what a, what a scene. It's fantastic. And I don't know. Do you guys want to say anything else about the racial politics? I mean, I, I, mean, I think we said about all there is to say about it. it. I'm sorry that Mitchell shows were a thing. And if there's a black person that watches this and just can't, can't get past that. I, and enjoy it for what it is. I have sympathy for that. I hope they have sympathy for me enjoying the incredible display of artistry. That is this scene. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, stare did enough in his life. Uh, I think the sincerity of the tribute comes through in the performance and in some of the details, like e- even down to the fact, so you watch the TCM little three minute clip mm-hmm. sensitivity warning or whatever beforehand, yes. but we get a little deeper than that. And you realize that even his costuming, his costuming was the literal 
and you should look this up and verify it maybe, but if if I am recalling this rightly, it's it is the costume it's the costuming worn not the literal one, but the same costume worn by his mentor in, in his mentor's final performance. Hmm. And so just like the detail, the detail, the detail is all meant to mean something to the people that made Fred Astaire who he was. Right. And so there's real sincerity there. However misguided you want to you want to call it that's up to you i don't want to i'll leave you to your own judgment about that but well the other thing i i don't know i suppose it's worth probably obvious to most of our listeners but it was maybe worth saying you i don't know i i really have impatience with people who judge history by today's standards you watch so many movies where the, the the character in the movie is 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 a woman who is the one woman who in the this 18th century setting believed in feminism right it's like except for they didn't believe in feminism back then like uh, it's, it's the mel gibson and the patriot syndrome <laughs> where he's the one guy who doesn't have slaves working right. for him and it's just silly and like, oh, well, people did have slaves mel gibson's character wouldn't have known better than that so those are fictional characters but i think the same is true for fred astaire like okay we understand more about minstrel shows and their hurtfulness and all that sort of thing. Now there's no reason to expect that Fred Astaire would have felt that way back then or understood those things. There there's, there's no frame, no reality where Fred Astaire would have had all that information and been able to make a better decision than the one that he did make. So let's, let's not judge him as if he should have understood all the morals and mores of our time. Like he wasn't living in our time. It doesn't mean we can't be happy that people, don't do minstrel shows anymore, but to pretend like Fred Astaire should have somehow been more progressive than anyone was is, is just, I mean, I'm fumbling here because I'm saying something that's so should be so blitheringly obvious that I shouldn't have to say it, but there's a New York times article from the last 10 years called Astaire, the artist, even in blackface that actually argues that Astaire is being subversive. Interesting. As opposed to and contrasting contrasting what he does here to Jolson's The Jazz Singer mm-hmm. or or Gone with the Wind. Right. Two things that he brings up where the blackface isn't the caricature with the eyes and the lips. The the background dancers are integrated white and black women. It's as much about John W. Bubbles as it is about Bill Robinson. It's just interesting. The at least this article. Again, this is a New York Times article. At least this 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 article says that Astaire was being subversive and really trying to interest you in the true artistry of the black tap dancers that he admired. Hmm. And so he used. Then this isn't my argument. I'm scrolling a New York Times article and just kind of pulling things hmm. where. Astaire is the subversive American whose gunfire-like feet and jazzy rhythms undermine the well-ordered politeness of English high society. Its force remains shocking. The whole point is, Astaire, this guy says anybody else would have played this for comedy. Mm -hmm. And nothing here is played for comedy except for the intro. Yeah, it's almost like he's easing us into it. Like, okay, here's the character you all all want. And now, now that I brought you along... Look at how awesome this stuff actually is. I don't know that I quite buy that argument. I, 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 I think, I I think what, what I what's happening either. here is we have a New Yorker progressive intellectual who really wants to like something cool 
Yeah. So he's like, <laughs> how can we give this one a pass? Uh, <laughs> he was being subversive. I think in some sense, he's probably right. Probably most of his sub points are right. But was did a stare think to himself, you know what? I'm going to this absurd. Whiteness. The, the whiteness. White, white dancing. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. Time to smash some uh, white fragility with my subversiveness. Yeah. I yeah. I, no, I think you're right. But still. There's some good points there and some. Yeah. I think. I think there's something to it. Yeah, I, I think that's right. The fact that it's the one blackface scene that nobody wants to condemn, mm-hmm. and not just because it's awesome as a performance piece, I think says something. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's true. Yeah, the fact that the, the I, I also watched the little TCM intro, and of course they get a black lady to do it to yeah. so that it'll feel extra anointed as something that's gets okay, passed. Yeah. But which is hilarious, by the way. I watched the the Hemingway documentary. Anytime Hemingway had any kind of racially, shall we say, problematic stuff, they'd bring in this black, the one black guy that they interviewed, and the black guy would be talking about how it actually means this or it's that or that. But it felt so condescending on the part of Ken Burns to have (laughs) his one black expert that shows up every time we need someone to give Hemingway a little wiggle room. Okay, well, I guess we know why we're interviewing this guy. So, Mm -hmm. Ken Burns, virulent racist. That's what I want you to take away from (laughs) this podcast, if nothing else. Fred Astaire, not. The only other thing I would say about Bojangles of of Harlem as a sequence is, I just love the fact, I already sort of said this, but I love the fact that Astaire, for all his technical discipline and mastery, is not above showmanship. Like, he understands he still needs to meet his audience halfway and give them something new and give them something exciting and not just expect them to come all the way to him and notice what a great, awesome dancer is. He, he was, it's kind of like what we were talking about in our awesome ramble in the Bronx mm-hmm. episode. Bruce Lee is such an incredible athlete, but he never does anything to like give the audience a reason to care. He just does super quick, fast, not that impressive to look at moves. And it's like, okay, cool. Great. And then you compare that to someone like Jackie Chan, who's working his, uh, bottom off i guess we have to say on this podcast we do Um, working his tail off there you go to make it fun and exciting and interesting not so much in the movie that we uh made our good friend jake watch (laughs) gotcha gotcha jake but in uh, drunken master 2 (laughs) the sequel (laughs) jake chan's working his tail off to like how can i make this fun how can i make this cool how can i make it interesting and fast and make sure that you're impressed by it and i just think great artists do that They, they find a way to meet people where they're at and to bring them along into the craft and into the discipline and you should do that especially young people that think they want to be artists don't be above applying structure applying showmanship applying whatever it takes to make your audience appreciate what you're doing uh don't just expect them to bend over backwards to understand how brilliant you are fred astaire didn't so maybe you shouldn't either okay so we got a bunch of plot but i think really the only other thing to talk about is never going to dance Right? Yeah. Yep. So, never gonna dance. We got a whole bunch of plot, and now she's marrying Ricky Ricardo, Mm -hmm. and... Astaire is not happy. And not getting (laughs) married to nobody. He sings a really weird song. Really weird song. Start to sort of warm her up. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, with really dorky lyrics about <laughs> wolf. the wolf didn't the wolf wasn't very smart because he didn't take my heart <laughs> <laughs> not really sure what it means but <laughs> it's interesting and 
then they 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 start dancing, and they start dancing very slowly, uh, and then they pick up pace a little bit. Yeah, these little bursts of energy that then get quelled, and, mm-hmm. and then and then she she's like, "I'm done," and she starts to walk away, and, and then he's he, like, "No, you're not. No, you're not." And he grabs her, and then she's like, "Oh, I'm glad I was grabbed because I really wasn't done." Yeah, and then they really dance their hearts out, and yeah, it's something. It's something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love it. I, I think it's great. It's my. It's probably my favorite dance scene in all of dance in all of cinema history. It's very romantic. It's very sexually charged. As we've, if, if you're someone that can pick up on subtext, I think you've understood. That's what we've been saying, folks. I don't necessarily fault it for that. I mean, I think it's a very elegant, and it's not tawdry or puerile no, or vulgar. No, no. Um, no, it's. I mean, I think it's. I mean, okay, they are making love to each other. It is an artistic, it is an aesthetic contemplation or depiction of of sex. It is that. But it's longing and despair and denial. Mm -hmm. And it's what La La Land is going to spend its entire third act trying to achieve the effect of what if and maybe never and what could have been and what would have. And they're going to do it in a two-minute number. And nail the effect way more than La La Land ever. Yeah, no, it may, if, if anything's going to make you ache with joyful longing. It's carpool karaoke. Yeah, with. It's carpool karaoke, <laughs> first of all, with, with, with McCartney. But second, second only to that <laughs> would be this. I mean, it's, it, 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 is, it really evokes a lot of emotions just from two people yeah, dancing. Yeah, and you've got to actually be invested. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I can see somebody watching that and be like, eh. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know that you can just pull up the YouTube clip. You, you, as, as silly as the setup is, you do kind of need the setup. Yeah, and you need to you need to be in the movie for the movie and give yourself to it. Yes, for okay. it to land the way that I think it it can and should and and does. Otherwise, it's just like why are these people like doing this weird thing where they're like acting sad and dancing slow and then dancing faster and then dancing slow? It just mm-hmm. doesn't kind of doesn't quite make sense. But yeah, if you if you are actually in it, it's pretty special. I think they are also. It also helps to have seen the movie because they are putting on and taking off the dance styles from the different dances. They're they're doing a little movie, bit of yeah. like they're they're playing they're out their whole through. relationship kind of exactly. <laughs> it's the again. It's like what La La Land tried to do. It's playing out everything. How it is. How it, what, what would have been. How it could have. The thing about how thuddingly La La Land's like here's a flashback of them. Enjoying their time together on the beach or whatever. Yeah. We get all that just through <laughs> Fred and Ginger doing some dance moves, man. All rehearsing the what it was and what it would have been and what it could have been and mm, what we wish it was. And yeah, it's pretty great. I think and, and as far as the sexual tension of it all, I think if you're going to allow that art can handle the subject of sex at all, then... This is one of the ways you could maybe argue is a fine way to do it. Well, I would say. I mean, if you're okay with Shakespeare writing sonnets about sex, if you're okay with King Solomon writing a book about sex, if you're okay with, which I gotcha, you have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you make room for any sort of aesthetic contemplation of the subject of sex, then you would have to make room for the idea that there might be an elegant, uh, non-vulgar, non-pornographic non-tawdry way to do it and then once you've made space for that you could at least make an argument that this is that Mm -hmm. i'll let the listener make their own judgments about that 
but I'd like to at least make space for the conversation. We don't have to litigate. Good thing. That would be gross <laughs> if we had to do that. <laughs> uh, so I have two quotes I want to read. One is, from, they're both from Roger Ebert, but one of them is Roger Ebert quoting Ginger Rogers, who he interviewed in, I think, 1983, hmm. just at the time that John Travolta's awesome sequel to Saturday Night Fever called Staying Alive had come out. <laughs> uh, and Roger Ebert asked Ginger Rogers if she had seen Staying Alive, which was the current popular dance movie of its day. And she said she had. And Roger Ebert asked her what she thought of it. And she said, the young people today. They think they can dance with their faces, <laughs> which is pretty great. I guess there's a scene in Staying Alive where there's mist on the floor. There's like the, what is what's it called? Like fog. The fog yeah. on the floor, a fog machine. And so you can't actually see their feet. And Ginger Rogers was very <laughs> unimpressed with John Travolta doing dances where you couldn't actually see his feet. <laughs> and then I liked this other quote. This is from Roger Ebert's great movies review of swing time he says when you see anyone an athlete a musician a dancer a craftsman doing something difficult and making it look easy and joyful you feel enhanced it is a victory for the human side over the enemies of clumsiness timidity and exhaustion i think that sums up the joy of michael jordan and oh yeah many mm -hmm. yeah many athletes like that but yeah and the thing that young athletes don't understand is they want to look cool, so they try to make easy things look hard. Mm -hmm. And bad, a lot of bad acting is trying to make easy things look hard. Yep. But anybody who knows real artistry knows that it's all about making hard things look easy. Mm -hmm. It's really true. It's about finding the simplest way from A to A to B. And the simplest way is usually not, I killed them. I killed them all. <laughs> They're like animals. <laughs> and I killed them like animals. And not just the men. The women. Oh, man. And children. Uh, now, I, I defy anyone to make that dialogue look easy, but <laughs> if you had to do it, it would probably be a little closer to, I killed them, Padme. I killed, killed them, them all. I mean, I don't know how you do it. I, I don't think I could make that dialogue play, but. And not just the men. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the way. Make it as simple. Strip it down as much as possible. Yeah. They're like animals. But, I mean, if you really do it, then you're going to get psychopaths, right? Yeah, no so kidding. Like, Which is what you want. He's Darth he's Vader. He's Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> They're like animals. And I killed them like animals. As, as deadpan as possible. That's, yeah, no, I think not that, touching it. That actually could play. <laughs> uh, probably, for all I know, Caden Christensen did that and George. Lucas was like, no. No. The babies in the audience aren't Prada. Prada. <laughs> <laughs> he's controlled by his emotion, so it's got to be emotional. All right, Hayden. Uh, Hayden, I, I don't think you understand the the poetry of the the the, the Jimmy Stewart. I'm Nathan's Jimmy Stewart is <laughs> Jimmy Stewart meets Kermit the Frog is now my my George Lucas. <laughs> I awesome. mean, I just think anyone that does an impression of George Lucas is contractually obliged to go up into go into this frog register. All of which is very important to the discussion of swing time. Swing time. Well, guys, anything else you want to say about this wonderful movie? One of one of the best from Hollywood's Golden Age, in my humble opinion. Nope, I don't think so. Talked about all the fun supporting characters. 
Yeah, it's great. The music is great. Jerome Kern. I think I might have said Irving Bullet Berlin on the 28 movies podcast. And if so, I apologize. It was a different Jewish son of an immigrant who wrote the American songbook. Those guys are all kind of the, the same, though. One Oscar or two for this movie. Nominated for both The Way We Do It and or The Way We Do It. Uh, <laughs> the Way You Look Tonight. The Way You Look Tonight. <laughs> this is how we do it. Yep. Wow. And uh, Staying Alive. Or Staying Alive. <laughs> also nominated for Staying Alive. <laughs> wow. What's the other song? Find Romance, obviously. This... <laughs> also got nominated. But The Way You Look Tonight won, obviously, because why wouldn't it? Yeah. Although, man, Find Romance is probably better than most songs that have ever been nominated for an Oscar. So... This movie's got two Stone Cold classics in it. And Pick Yourself Up, I think, is a classic. I mean, it's not like a classic that everybody loves. Like, those are, the other two are. But, man, it's a it's a great little song. Mm-hmm. And then you got the weird one about, what does he say? Who is it that made him do it? The Wolf or? The Wolf did something. The Wolf stole, stole my yeah. heart. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason that one didn't en- enter the American <laughs> Songbook. <laughs> uh, a drum current most famous for Showboat and for Old Man River and hmm. that kind of stuff. He also wrote a ton of songs that you'd recognize that ended up in the in the canon or whatever, but that's, that's kind of his claim to fame nowadays. We don't really, besides Showboat, though, we don't really do any of his musicals anymore because they were all kind of that old-timey review style. So he's not quite as well-known as an Irving Berlin or some of the other guys. But yeah, Jerome Kern, a good songwriter. <sighs> all right. Anything else? Uh, ben, how many... Lucky pennies out of seven do you give to swing time? Yeah, six or seven. Six or seven? Yeah. 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 Maybe dock a lucky penny for the immodesty that we alluded to. Yeah. Though I'm left without a penny, the wolf was discreet. He left me my feet. And so I put them down on anything. But the label... The perfectly swell romance, never gonna dance, never gonna dance, never only gonna, gonna love. Such never a weird dance. Have I a heart that acts like a heart, or is it a crazy drum beating the weird tattoos of the Saint Louis blue? Have I two eyes to see your two eyes, or see myself on my toes dancing to radios <laughs> or Major Edward Bowes? <laughs> Though I'm left without a penny, the wolf was discreet. He left me my feet, and so I put them down on anything. But the label, the perfectly swell romance. <laughs> never gonna dance, never gonna dance. Only gonna love, never gonna dance. I'll put my shoes on beautiful trees. I'll give my rhythm back to the breeze. My dinner clothes may dine where they please. For all I really want is you. And to Groucho Marx, I give my cravat. <laughs> to Harpo goes my shiny silk hat. Into heaven I give a vow to adore you. I'm starting now to be much more positive that though I'm left without my penny, the wolf was not smart. He <laughs> left me my heart. And so I cannot go for anything but the la belle, la perfectly swell romance. La belle? What? That's what it says. Never going to dance, never going to dance, only going to love you, never going to dance. I hear the sound of deadline pressure. (laughs) (laughs) It just reminds me of certain skits I've written. (laughs) I guess that works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
I think you might be right, Ben. Uh, I don't know why anyone would intentionally throw all those uh, metaphors into a Cuisinart and <laughs> my goodness, <laughs> hip puree or whatever. To Groucho Marx, I give my cravat. <laughs> my cravat. To Harpo goes my shiny silk hat. Oh my! I mean, I know the Marx Brothers, but that reference doesn't make sense. It's possible, I suppose, that all this stuff landed better then, and the references made sense. But I don't think so. Yeah, I think he just says a bunch of nonsense, and then they dance. Never it's remarkable that it works as well as it does when you think about. It. Yeah. Well, the melody works really great for that final mm-hmm. dance yes. when they move to the yeah. orchestral part. It's great. Jake, how many lucky pennies out of seven do you give to swing time? Seven. There you go. I'll go ahead and I'm going to give it one lucky penny. This movie is a total waste of time. And <laughs> you should not watch it. Okay. We're talking about In the Heights next time, folks, if you want to be prepared for There was a number that, that was cut. Yeah. The first, like, I think Astaire was oh. going to have a... Okay, yeah. We, we see the end of it and kind of hear it and i think kern wrote a song for it too <laughs> it's not in the cards it's the name of it that uh, makes sense setting up this guy's lucky and it makes sense of the fact that we get so little introduction of a stare in this movie they mm-hmm. kind of just hey it's a stare there he is hey uh speaking of people who need no introduction let's give out a patron choice award of awesomeness to our good friend anthony d ben what kind of dance moves do you suppose Anthony D busts out? Anthony D is has energetic and virile dance moves. Mm-hmm. M- maybe actually a little more like Gene Kelly yeah. than Fred Astaire. That's yeah. what I think. He'll jump up onto a lamppost and hold it and, and swing out and mm-hmm. go skipping through the rain. Go skipping through the rain. That's yeah. right. That's right. There's nothing more virile than skipping through the rain. Yep. Yes, I'm. It's a wonderful feeling. It is a wonderful feeling. We know it. We know it well here at Sanity at the movies. I'm skipping in the rain, just a skipping. Jake, what kind of dance moves do you speculate that Anthony D brings to the table? I think he's probably really great at the crip walk. Yeah. So. Yep. I think he can do the truffle shuffle. <laughs> no, I mean, I, probably anybody can do the truffle shuffle. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, what's that? What's the thing that Michael Jackson does? The, the thing moonwalk. Yeah, I think he moonwalks. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's more on the Astaire side of things. Yeah. Well, I think uh, there's a good argument to be made, as we talked about before, that Michael Jackson was the the heir, the Fred S. heir. Leave him laughing. That's my philosophy. So someone should say something funny. Make him laugh. Make them laugh. Make them laugh. No. Make them laugh. It's not and there's an, this. It's, it's another Singing in the Rain reference. I, yeah. I know, but this is not our Singing in the Rain podcast. Well. We're canoodling in the snow or failing to canoodle in the snow. <laughs> hmm. If anything. Well, let's pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off. Start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Chip? <laughs> oh man work like a man inspired (laughs) (laughs) ah yes we will be doing the bill version of swing time that'd be fun to (laughs) i think we got to do our it's a wonderful life takeoff first though probably yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. chip is a stare sparky is pop yep christmas carol yeah yep yep yeah that's right that's right the christmas carol 
Chip is a stare. Sparky's pop. I think we have to finish casting this. I guess uh, what's her face? Uh, Sparky's pop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chip's girlfriend would have to be Ginger, uh, right? Claire. 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 Yeah. Right. Uh, and that just leaves Mabel. Erica, of course. Yeah, no, that makes sense actually. Uh, on some level, uh, kind of me uh, level of a total insanity. <laughs> may, may somewhat uh, capsize the boat, but it, it, maybe instead of maybe Matt and Erica can be uh, Pops and Mabel. All right. Oh, that makes sense. That's All right, that's good. And then yeah. Sparky can be the owner of the dance. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're yeah, still yeah. fired. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, and. And we probably have a character. Like Seamus that. can be Ricky Romero. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That worked well. And that's Ollie's the mobster. <laughs> yeah, maybe Fighting so. Fighting over yeah. Seamus's contract. Maybe so, yeah. I mean, we do have our great character of gangster boss <laughs> lurking in the wings from that's uh, true. Very true. the most recent episode of The Bell. So I suppose we could bring him. Okay. Well, I'm glad we figured that out. Yep. Mm, I'm glad we L-I-T-A-G. I can't even spell the word. L-I-T-I-G-A-T-E. D. D. It. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back with In the Heights. And I don't know, maybe we'll uh, go nuts and do some singing in the rain not too long from now. Although, if we're going to do another musical, we kind of have to get the old West Side story in sometime soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, which I've never seen. Look oh. forward to it. I haven't oh. seen it since high school. I've mm-hmm. seen it literally tens of times. <laughs> so. Wow. um, Probably seen it once, maybe twice. It's quite good. It's also quite long and ends on a rather depressing note. Which I don't think is a spoiler if you know the story of Romeo and yeah. Juliet. Juliet. Okay. Well, that's that. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, go, yeah, go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies to support this podcast, to hear reviews of the Clone Wars. If you like swinging in the rain or swing time, whatever this movie is, you'll love our reviews of Clone Wars. <laughs> Basically the same thing. Dave Filoni is the Fred Astaire of Star Wars executives. He understands structure and structure, showmanship, rhythm, humility, hard work. Mm hmm. Yep. I actually actually was making those parallels in my mind while we were talking about it wow. earlier. That's amazing. Because, <laughs> well, we watched, we watched an episode of The Bad Batch last night, the latest episode of The Bad Batch. And wouldn't you know it, our group of uh, misfit ranger-style heroes who have this child they have to protect got caught in a scenario where they had to go on an, a mission to save another child that turned out to be the Rancor from Jabba's Palace. And it was all about just like every Mandalorian episode and every episode of the Clone Wars, and it was still fun and sweet and cool with a cool monster fight in it hmm. cool a little 22 minute episode it's like yeah like he does the same things he has about three or four tricks but mm-hmm. they're good tricks and they're fun yeah he's the best and you can hear us say a lot more about that at patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies you can also support this great show and yeah i think that that's all you need to know yeah that's all you need to know. That's all you need. All right, folks. Until next time. Never gonna dance. Never gonna dance. <laughs> <laughs>